Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host or co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with a goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast. It's a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie that you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that email is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. We are also on Twitter at bestpicturecast. We're on Instagram at bestpicturecast. You can search for us on Facebook, Best Picture Cast, all those social media accounts. You can find us. And we are back yet again for our next episode, the 2008 film Slumdog Millionaire. I am joined by two familiar faces who have been here before. And before I have them introduce yourself, I just want to remind everyone you can always reach out to us on any of the social media accounts. If you've, this is your first episode, we kind of do a deep dive into these movies. You'll find the lengthy run times. We really like to, uh, to live in the movie and cover it best we can. So if we say something that you either disagree with or want to expand upon, we're always uh, interacting on Twitter and Instagram, and that's always a good way to, to reach us. Also, we have polls on Twitter you can interact with and Instagram too, so it's always a fun way. I, I want to now uh, have my co-hosts introduce themselves. They've both been here before, so if you're familiar with Best Picture Cast, you may be familiar with their voices, and we'll start to my right. Hi, everyone. This is RDB. I was on the Departed episode, the pilot episode, and I was on the Broadway Melody Gangs of Goodfellas Defense episode. So this is my third time being here, and I'm very happy to be here. All right. We're happy to have you back, Artie. I'm sure that the audience may be sharpening their blades based on some of the other <laughs> episodes yeah, you've been on. I'm getting used to it. But maybe they'll end up using those blades on someone else. And that will be my other co-host here. And what do you say? Well, I'm sharpening my blades using on Artie from across the table here. <laughs> good, good. This is Rob R. I was on the Chicago episode. And I took some heat after that appearance. Uh, called out for my take on Slumdog Millionaire. So I'm super excited to be here for this episode and just hash it out. Okay, great. Well, great to have you back. And at uh, the same time, since we last had you on, you have uh, started up a, a, a separate podcast project yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called the Thursday Night Sales Podcast. It's really designed to be um, kind of like the hang, the happy hour with the sales team where you just kind of let it loose for the week. You talk about some business news. You talk about some of the crazy stuff coming out of like high profile CEOs and billionaires and, uh, you know, also, also some um, just kind of humorous takes on office culture itself. So it's really mostly a comedy podcast, but talking about uh, business issues. And I'm really excited for an episode that's going to come out next week. I have uh, John from Best of LinkedIn on. He's uh, going to be our guest. We're going to interview him. And he's got this account where he will essentially find some ridiculous posts or ridiculous like, behavior from someone on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. and just kind of call them out and okay. it's it's going to be a lot of fun i'm really excited about it 
Yeah, and you've uh, you've kind of had that shtick going LinkedIn on the first couple episodes. Yeah, so we, far. we've had like this is the third in our series mm-hmm. of the the BS LinkedIn series. So the first <laughs> one was uh, us calling out BS job titles, like someone calling themselves a chaos wrangler instead of like you know managing director or VP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we did uh, like BS LinkedIn post types, kind of like using a story that you know you've seen like twelve other people use. Like someone showed up for a job interview and had dirt on their shoes. You probably wouldn't have hired him, right? Well, what I found out was he was helping an old lady get off the ground who had fallen like, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. That's not a real story. Right. (laughs) So anyway, it's going to. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to all three episodes. Uh, It's a lot of fun. You know, they're, they're short run times. We're usually about 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Between 18 and 23 minutes. Yeah. A lot of fun. I mean, you know, you had one segment where you had uh, different, you know, uh, how would you like to work for different fictional office guys, whether yeah. it was uh, whether it was Derek from Step Brothers or uh, <laughs> or or um, Robert California from The Robert. Office? So yeah, very very good, very well, good. I, I definitely check it again. That's Thursday night sales. The Thursday night sales podcast, Apple, Spotify, and then get you on social media too. Pretty active. There. Yeah. So at uh, TN SalesPod. Cool. TN SalesPod. All right. So definitely check that out. A whole lot more from Rob here as we get to see his take on this movie. Where, where it lands, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I, I know I've said in the past that I, I love this movie along with many of Danny Boyle's movies and uh, director Danny Boyle, we will be talking about his body of work. Even if they're not your cup of tea, certainly intriguing films and, and enough to talk about there. Uh, Artie, I know we, we've had a long history of watching Danny Boyle movies together and uh, I'm, I'm excited to tackle some of these with, with you with, officially here. Yeah, I feel like he was one of the first directors that we actually noticed when we were watching the movie that it was well directed yeah i think 28 days later might even been like the first movie i was like this is a zombie movie but it's really well made too it's not just a zombie movie absolutely and and you can see he he keeps kind of a nice team around him too as we'll get into this so we are talking slumdog millionaire already what are are you drinking over here today well in honor of slumdog millionaire i'm drinking an india pale ale and i'm keeping (laughs) keeping the theme going with the montauk brewery so this is the uh world famous wave chaser okay montauk brewery is a frequent flyer around here at the bpc and myself and rob Uh, bobcat over here are drinking uh also an india pale ale and uh, why it's why it's the way it is, like the story behind India Pale Ale and why it's... I do, but go ahead. Yeah, but go ahead and tell them. Okay, so is it because it's super hoppy because that allows the alcohol content to be higher and that somehow made it last longer on the voyages from India up to England? Yeah, and and they, because they were sort of those low decks, it distilled in a certain way that they got a very kind of pungent taste out of it. So very astute history we're giving you here today of our, <laughs> yeah. of our beers. And one other thing that I just like got a kick out of too is there's obviously been like a micro beer boom here in the last decade. And when I first started getting into different kinds of craft beers and beers from different parts of, of the country, IPAs were almost always labeled India Pale Ales. Any, anyone who had an IPA was an India Pale Ale. IPA has become such a part of the lexicon now that I had a hard time finding a beer that said the word India on the label. And that's, I wanted to make sure whatever I picked said India Pale Ale on it. And back then it was like every beer had it. And here I found a, a Peak Organic India Pale Ale, uh, one I've, I've chose before here, but it's a, a, a great brewery. It's funny how the, how culture kind of changes like that, where now IPA is like a word in the dictionary. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of against the, like most of the IPAs now are like juice IPAs. Yep. yep. I don't know. I'm kind of over it. 
I like I like the super hoppy stuff. Oh, I'm with you. I like the super hoppy. I like the double IPAs. Right. See, I like the juicy citrusy ones. So well, yeah, yeah. Huge, but I do like a good watermelon or no, like Bud, a Bud Light Lime. You were big in Bud Light Limes. Yeah, it's great. It's a great beer. Uh, okay, so Slumdog Millionaire. Rob, you have a more recent experience of this movie, as I as you said in our, our yeah. the last time you were on, you were kind of going through the last. 20 best picture winners and, and put this in your your junk pile even though you hadn't seen it but uh you 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 have since seen it and you're back but Artie what was your first experience with Slumdog Millionaire? A lot of people liked it and I was very hesitant to see it I didn't think I'd be interested um it won best picture so I'm like all right it's probably pretty good but I just never never saw it never was with anyone who wanted to watch it and one day I threw it on alone and watched it and by the end of the movie, I was just sitting in my room by myself crying, like <laughs> laughing through tears like the audience of Oprah. Like a, <laughs> I, was, I was blown away by how incredible it was. I didn't think, one of my big pet peeves is child actors. And I, I was like, half this movie is gonna be children acting. I'm not gonna be able to handle this. And they were incredibly impressive and they're all, they were all unknown actors. None of them had acted in anything before. They were actually from the slums. Yeah, yeah. And they, so kudos uh, to Danny Boyle for getting something out of them. Found them, cast them, and, and took care of them afterwards, too, which uh, as far as financially and making sure they went to school and everything, and we'll talk about that. My first experience of this movie is interesting in that the Oscars came out that year, and I was watching the Oscars and had not seen Slumdog Millionaire, did not know anything about it, was just kind of understanding that it was a, a favorite in the race here with that year's Oscars, and then you're watching the show, and it won eight awards, so you see... Winner, Slumdog Millionaire, Winner, Slumdog Millionaire. And then the performances are all very Bollywood-style performances. So I said, all right, what is this? Just some Bollywood movie right. that they're pushing up and, and it wins. And I thought the whole... I thought it was a musical, to be honest. And I, while music plays an important part in this movie, it's, it's not really a musical. The previews did not do the movie justice. Because that's no. what made me not interested in seeing it, is the previews. just They didn't convey what the actual movie you're going to watch is about. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about kind of its ascension from its production to the Oscars to what ended up being a, a box office success. This is then one I saw and just loved. And honestly, I watched this movie and like you said, it just, just to me it was hard to watch it without getting tears in your eyes and getting emotionally impacted with it. And we'll break it down from there, but I, I think this is, for me at least, is one of those examples of, of the book and judging it by its cover and, and getting something else out of it. And like I said, it probably wasn't marketed great at all no. in that sense too. And if the little behind that is right around the time the movie was supposed to come out the studio shut down so it was like in the process of shutting down as yeah. they're hurrying to wrap this movie he had to beg to get it not scrapped and it was going to go straight to DVD, yeah, straight to DVD. and he pushed for it to make to make a theatrical release and you know wow. the rest is history uh, Rob uh, your your experience which is, is a little more recent why don't you tell us a little <laughs> about uh, about your intro to this one yeah so I was called out rightfully so because I had Put this movie, uh, I essentially on the Chicago episode sorted the last 20 years of best Oscar, uh, picture, best picture winners, and like three buckets of hell yeah, I'm glad this one, fine, I'll deal with it. And this is the eye roll, I think yes. you call yeah, it. Yeah, eye roll. And this was in the eye roll pile. And then right after I already heard the episode, he started texting me and saying that I was uh, just completely out of line um, <laughs> for, for doing that with, without having seen the movie. And I was like, all right, that's fair. I'll watch it. I watched it like the next week. Yeah, I think it might still be in the eye roll category. Yeah, guys. so, okay, interesting. We'll have, a, we'll, have a, um, we'll have varying points of views here today, at least. It's not going to be 
if if you've gotten a li- gotten a little tired of us the past few episodes just gushing over a movie, all three of us, maybe today might be a little different. So that's interesting to see. I'm I'm interesting to see what your takes are as we as we do this too because I can't wait. I we t- always talk about like the '92 Best Picture winners and where each one slots in. And for me, man, this is if I'm sitting down and picking one to watch, this is always going to be an easy choice for me. But we'll, we we will get there. Anything else we can think of to introduce I mean, us here? The plot is ridiculous. A guy from the slums goes on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and ends up you know being a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Just the premise alone is ridiculous. It's completely unbelievable. To, to take that and make it a really good, engaging movie that, you know, ultimately wins the Oscar for Best Picture, which I know you don't agree with, <laughs> I think is a really amazing accomplishment by Danny Boyle. So I might as well just jump into it now because that is exactly why I still don't like the movie. Okay, and, and in, before you hop into it, I do want to say out of this one, this was a script that sat on a list for a couple years, uh, a list of most read scripts that no one wanted to make. So there is, you're not alone in saying that a lot of people didn't want to touch this project for that yeah. very reason, but what, what did you take out of that? So I felt that the, the suspension of disbelief was just too much for me. Like it, the plot is so absurd, so crazy, that it actually took me out of being able to really emotionally invest with the kids, hmm. um, which obviously like it's, this is one of the most horrifying situations a child can be in the world. So it was almost like I, I found it a little disrespectful of how serious the situation was. I left thinking, okay, this plot, this this device of using who wants to be a millionaire to have this kid reconnect with someone, that would maybe even, that would be more apt for like a non-serious topic. Mm-hmm. Like not a kid about to get kidnapped and have his eyes burned out. Like it would be... Maybe a good plot device for like a Seth Rogen stoner comedy where, you know, he's got to go on the show and he just had a blackout weekend in Amsterdam and it just so happened that all the hijinks that he got into gave him the answers to all the who wants to be millionaire questions. And it was just like, it was, it's so, so ridiculous. I just couldn't take it seriously. Yeah. And I will say too that Danny Boyle himself really almost passed on this because he didn't want to make a who wants to be a millionaire movie. Right. And have it be that sh- that sticky deal, and I, it's funny, man. I look at this. I the who wants to be a millionaire part to me isn't even really the part that sticks out that I remember about it. Uh, and maybe that's because I was able to more invest myself in the storyline, what was going on. And you'll see if maybe either myself or I don't, I don't already you know I'll let you go next, but maybe can sway you a little um, bit on. Yeah. So each person watching a movie has their own things that suck them in and disengage them. Um, as you know, you're you're calling out a 91% movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It didn't engage you. I called out a 96% or 4% movie yeah, yeah, on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. It didn't engage me. I've in tried Goodfellas. multiple. Yeah, in Goodfellas, I've tried multiple times. It doesn't do it for me. And you know, to each his own. That's like not to bring up a redundant theme on this podcast, but that's the beauty of the podcast is everyone views these movies differently and has their own experiences and discussing. The experiences is really what this is about, and I respect that you disagree disagree with it. You know, now that you've seen it, um, I did not respect that you did not like it before you saw it. Now, I, <laughs> right, I, I want right, to ask you now. I want to ask you honestly. Do you think deciding you didn't like it on a list before seeing it had any influence on your opinion of the movie, even maybe subconsciously? Uh, maybe uh, subconsciously, but I, I couldn't really comment on that. For obvious reasons. You're not conscious um, of your subconscious? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I didn't bring my therapist in to watch the movie with me. No, I, maybe it did. Uh, but I've done other movies where I've been like, all right, prove me wrong. 
and felt like I gave this one a fair shot. And okay. Didn't okay. Get there. Yeah. Because right. mind space is always kind of an important part of movies too. You know, are you are you in a good mood? Are you in a good environment? Are you? And I think that the, some of the great movies. I mean, like I think that you could be watching. Shawshank Redemption on a landing strip and still enjoy it for you know but whereas you know whereas a movie that's a little more dense and a little longer and a little maybe a little more acute with the dialogue it, you really have to kind of be in like a movie theater setting to enjoy it this to me is maybe somewhere in the middle but you know maybe your mind space wasn't in a in a, a grasping mode but it's you know we'll see I don't know he also has a very distinct directorial style right. that might not work for everyone um right. You know, he, he uses children actors throughout most of the movie. The cuts are unusual. There's weird camera angles. Cameras in like very unusual places. Yeah, yeah, that, it could be disengaging. I could, I could see your point, especially with a, um, as you called it, a contrived plot. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the quotes I've read from Danny Boyle is that uh, he said, "No matter what a film may be about, I love making it look and feel like an action movie." Huh. And in addition to the plot. Uh, device that I, I didn't really like that style of filming also kind of brought me out of some scenes so like it works really well not to burn you know some of the material later but like when they're on a, a train or when they're running away from someone yeah like that's an appropriate time to have action type cuts but you know when you're you're talking about like a five-year-old kid and like trying to take in like another five-year-old orphan um, I don't know making it look like, look like an action movie kind of takes me out of it as well a little bit. Yeah, and I think that maybe that already that's what you're saying is just the, the style isn't always going to be for everyone. And hey, listen, our last few episodes here, if, if this isn't your first one, it, we've kind of been gushing about the movies and there hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, little nitpicks here and there, but there's been a lot of praising and not a lot. So it, it, while it, it, it pained me a little bit to bring someone on who was going to go after this, I think it's healthy for the podcast to have that. Uh, even though this is, you know, uh, one of my favorite movies and, and you know, I think a, a beloved movie by some, it's definitely a movie that other people don't necessarily go with. So we'll get to, into all that. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I we'll, can't uh, wait. We'll kind of go back and forth as we go through. But are we uh, ready to get going here? Ready to do the old deep dive, gentlemen? Anything else before we go? Right. Oh, let's go. All right. Let's dive. Slumdog Millionaire. The year is 2008. Barack Obama defeats John McCain to become the 44th president of the United States and the first African-American president. In the World Series, the Philadelphia Phillies defeat the Tampa Bay Rays in five games to become the World Series champions for the second time as the Philadelphia Phillies and the first time in 28 years. This was the Rays' first and only World Series appearance. And the Billboard number one song of the year, of course, it was Low by the great Flo Rida featuring T-Pain. <laughs> Artie, what's your favorite Flo Rida song? It would have to be Low. It would be Low? Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, the whistle, baby, so blow, blow the whistle. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a good one, too. He's got some low-key, he's got a low-key discography there, Flo Rida. I think he didn't do the... Uh... Like you spin my head round. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another one. I think that right. was used in the Hangover, like really effectively. They <laughs> fired up when they were going out in the Hangover, right? And that came on. The great flow rider and uh, and T Pain too, mask uh, uh, mask singer champion Timothy Payne. Payne. <laughs> so, 
So the Oscar Best Picture winner in 2008 is Slumdog Millionaire. It's a loosely based on a novel entitled Q&A by Indian author Vikas Swarup. It's directed by Danny Boyle. Screenplay by Simon Balfoy. Cinematography by Anthony Dodmantle. Music by A.R. Rahman. It is starring Dev Patel, Frida Pinto, Anil Kapoor. Irafan Khan Madhur Mittal. The names, be patient with me on this one, folks. I had a hard enough time with the Silence of the Lambs episode pronouncing words that, that should be closer to my lexicon here. Quid pro quo. <laughs> I don't think any of us got it once, oh, to be honest with you. <laughs> Joey got it every it's time. It's a real tongue. Yeah, but he can't say cuckoo's nest. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire won eight Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Danny Boyle, Best Screenplay, Simon Balfoy, Best Cinematography, Anthony Dodd-Mantle, Best Original Score, A.R. Rahman, Best Original Song, A.R. Rahman for Jai Ho, and Best Sound Mixing, it was also nominated for two other awards, Best Original Song, M.I.A. and A.R. Rahman, Osaya, and Sound Editing as well. So this was definitely a big hit at the Oscars. Nominated for 10, winning 8, something you don't necessarily see a lot anymore than they moved to the, the 10 nominee format, and they seem to kind of spread the wealth a little bit with the awards. I don't know if that's a... It's on purpose or what, but... Yeah, no acting awards either. No acting nominees. Yeah, yeah. no acting nominees. I thought Jamal one. was deserving of at least a nominee. Do you mean to Dev Patel, Jamal? Dev Patel, yeah. yeah we, we do that here. We call him by the movie character name. Yeah, and we're probably... Well, no, but there's three different actors that play The older Jamal, Jamal right, yes. right. That's what I mean. Um, funny fact about A.R. Rahman. Okay. <laughs> he has a fatwa out against him. Really? Like in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, boy. He has an actual fatwa, fatwa out against him. Fatwa! Yeah. <laughs> for his music in a movie, Muhammad, like, Muhammad oh. God of something, yeah. Is, do, you know, do we know where he's hiding out, or is that information that we shouldn't be sharing? Um, I'm just not going to say. <laughs> so, this movie, guys, it's aged interestingly, and I guess we'll talk about that a little more in the end when we talk about Legacy. Artie, you mentioned this a little bit with it kind of bouncing around production companies. Warner Brothers had it. They had an independent branch to their, to their company, went out of business. Now they have all these films and they had a backlog on end of the year films. So basically too many films coming out at that end of the year that would kind of go, go towards award season. So they more or less, you know, for lack of a better term, pimped this movie out. You know, they, they sent it out there, who wants it? Fox was starting a, a, a new branch of their company, Fox Spotlight Pictures, and they picked it up, put it out there, did well at the film festivals. You know, I'll tell you, if The Beach was his last movie, this might not have got picked up. He did yeah. 28 Days Later in between and kind of redeemed himself. Yeah, yeah, there was, he had, uh, see, The Beach was a weird one too because I think that like, if you mix Danny Boyle's film style and mix it with Leo's next movie after Titanic, you're getting that Titanic <laughs> blockbuster. Departure. He did the Man in the Mask, the Man in the Iron Mask in between, oh, but they great. basically came out around the same time. And so now you have all the, oh, it's the beach with Leo. He's not gonna have a shirt on. This is great. Like all like the all the middle school and high school girls are running right. to the to the movies, and they get this weird movie where he's running around like a video game character, and and it's you know banging Tilda Swinton. Yeah. So I don't want to completely invalidate my credibility, but I, I came here to make hot takes, so I'm gonna make another one right now. Okay. The beach is better than Slumdog Millionaire. 
Wow. That's a hot take. That is a hot take. And wow, that's a hot take. The beach. I've watched the beach a number of times. Probably yeah. probably ten times. I, I like the beach. I, I like it a lot. I think I, the world wasn't ready for the beach, is what the issue right. was. I think it, it came I think on that's a little fair. It came on a little strong. And the beach was included in our list of favorite movies under fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, Rob, you have your three selections we're going to go through later, and you'll be the last of the crew to give theirs. I'm really excited to hear your three. Uh, I am too, and that will that will create the field of 24. And we'll have our 24 movies Great. under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes that we love, and we'll go on social media and kind of narrow those down through a, a little poll system that you guys can Sports are back. And that will be up <laughs> right after this one airs. Which will be sometime around the uh, 4th of July-ish. You could also get action on that through the DraftKings app. <laughs> <laughs> you want to ride the beach or battleship all the way, you can do so. <laughs> Battleship's got favorite odds at 3-2. Uh, to two. <laughs> That's right. So, so Fox Spotlight Pictures ends up backing this one. And it was very close to going straight to DVD. Sure enough, it gets the traction. It gets the Oscar nominations. It has a monster Oscars and then just blows up at the box office. Goes up forty box office sales go up forty three percent after the Oscar, and it went from a very small movie to a movie that ended up reaching three hundred and seventy seven million in the box office and thirty one million in DVD sales. Right in the prime of the old DVD era too, two thousand eight. Oh, yeah. I had that uh, DVD. So it, you can look at it as a little bit of art imitating life, life imitating art, as it is that underdog movie that was going to go straight to DVD, ends up winning the Oscars and, and is a real steal for Fox Spotlight Pictures as, and is, uh, became their highest grossing film. Yeah. It, it, was only cost, it only cost $15 million to make or something like that? $15 yeah. million dollars was the budget. Uh, profit uh, return for, the, yeah. for them. Uh, the, the underdog paid off there, and we have a story about an underdog here. We start off in the movie with, they give us this little multiple choice graphic, you know, very Danny Boyle-esque uh, as to how, how what, what went down and how did this guy win, win the big prize. It, what, what is it? Just so we can get this out of it's 12 million rupees. Is that the, that's 20 the final million, prize? No. 20 million, 20 million rupees. 20 million rupees is the final prize. Okay. Which is equivalent to $250 in America. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to get our conversion charts out on that one. Yeah, so he's in there with the, uh, the old... Police inspector. So th- when this movie started off, Rob, because you saw this most recently, like what did you like? What did you know about this movie going in? Did you really know anything? Did you get a gist of what the plot was? You read up on it? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think you get it from one line in the trailer when you know obviously he's on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and he says I went on the show because I knew she- she'd be watching. Uh, you know that he's comes from you know the slums, so he's you know. It's not like he's some rocket science uh, scientist going on the show. There's, uh, I didn't know that there was like specifically the divine intervention angle being taken um, with the it is written part. It also didn't help my. Uh, I don't know that that's divine in. intervention. I think it's more that there's um, that it's fate and destiny, destiny over yeah destiny over you know. So I guess it would be destiny over free will. So it's different than divine intervention. I, I'm thinking that if there's some kind of thing that's a plan in place that's written you can call it destiny but like where is that coming from okay this is a deeper conversation yeah, this, this, for this, a different this. podcast <laughs> right right so one of the things i took out of your intro rob is that, is that you kind of just you couldn't you couldn't get past 
the telling of the story and how, and how it was told to, to enjoy the movie to, to, to the extent of what you feel you should enjoy a Best Picture. So I, I wasn't off of it right away. Like the first yeah. probably 10, 15 minutes, I, what really kind of uh, turned me off was when the plight of the child, uh, Jamal, just kept getting so intensely bad. Okay. Yeah. That was for him, not, not that it's bad. The, uh, the storytelling is bad, but his situation was so dire and so depressing that yeah. I just I kind of... Yeah, that there was... Right. Yeah, that there's some, he goes right. through the worst so, possible think, situation yeah. you can imagine Absolutely. As, as a person. I think one of the things that, that will be good for this particular episode and what we're talking about is because, is like, for me, I view the nuts and bolts of the storyline as really just the mechanism for telling the story that they want to tell behind that. Part of storytelling is, and where storytelling can become ineffective, is that if, if the front that you put on is too thick or too elaborate or too gaudy that people can't get past it or they don't want to get past it or they're just not drawn past it, then maybe that's not the best way of telling your story. But the themes and the greater concepts of what he was trying to convey within the movie, as a, as a filmmaker, he had to work with the front first. It wasn't like, all right, I'm going to tell a story about hope and destiny and love, and then I'm going to find a way to hide it behind something. He had to work with this millionaire story, and then he built the meat behind the potatoes from there. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you I think that one of the themes, or one of the things he was going for was to give a spotlight to the slums of India and like how many children are orphans or in really bad situations like this? If, I, he, if, if he intended to do that, he didn't do a good job of it. But I don't know that that was his intention. I think that was just kind of the nature of the script he took on. Okay. Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would answer that question saying that I think that he, he reveled in the idea of telling the story through a different culture and right. through a, a country and a country's dynamic that maybe the European and the American audience weren't so familiar with. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that, that this was a, a social dynamic picture about the inner workings of India's caste system. I don't th- yeah, I don't think he was trying to, I, I, to be honest, now that I think about your question a little more, I don't think he was, his intention while making the movie was to highlight the caste system. Yeah. Um, he, it was to highlight how you know there's a lot of adversity in this whole culture, right. um, but not necessarily trying to like accurately depict this is what it's really like, um, and especially not in the in the framework of this. You know, um, I don't want to say outlandish, but this. No, it's outlandish. It's outlandish, outlandish of yeah. a plot. Yeah, it's outlandish. It's an outlandish it's plot because. Yeah. The reason I ask is that uh, some of the feedback from like, this, this guy, Amir Khan, who's a very famous Indian actor, Bollywood guy, um, kind of pushed back on why this was so, so popular. And he basically was saying that this is portraying India in one way, and it's really a negative way to portray it. I grew up in Mumbai, and I actually have a point of reference for growing up in the, in the country. And he just disagreed with the way that India was portrayed. Now... Just because you're telling one story doesn't right. necessarily mean that Danny Boyle is trying to say, hey, everyone, this is what India is. Right, right. He might not have been trying to do that. Yeah, but and if you were to tell a story about growing up in Detroit and someone from Miami says, that's not how I grew up, like, well, okay, yeah, because it's a different part of the country. And I, I don't think that they were saying that this is India. 
I think this if was just a slum in India. That I think if anyone from any part of the world made a movie about America, Americans would be like, well, that's not how America is. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, yeah, but I mean, wouldn't you think that India is probably, I mean, it's an even larger country. I mean, it's oh, a yeah. population. I think that there's, that there's a lot of... A it's lot not, of being, it's not a film recorded, you know, by an Indian from India. It's yeah. going to have that view of a, an outsider looking in. Now, as far as themes go, and one like overlying theme that I took out of with, with this movie is above the obvious love story and the it is written, which is, which is right there for you. This, to me, was a story about time and relationships and how you use your time and how you value relationships in your life. And one of the, one of the, the ongoing uses of symbolism that we're going to see throughout this movie is the train. And every time we see a train, we see the passing of one part of someone's life to the next part of someone's life. And while time can pass in a, t- in, in a specific part of your life, you may, spend, you may spend six months living in a city in your life and remember every part of it and have it be a six months of your life that you remember more than anything. And then you may move on to the next stage of your life where you're in the same city for 16 years and they could feel the same. And I think that this movie does a great job of Picking the different parts of this guy's life, which seems like he's a forty-year-old guy, based on the story he's telling, but he's an eighteen-year-old kid. It's the, this 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 brutal story started so young. It's not like he started having this like yeah. experience at age fifteen, eighteen. Yeah, like, and, and, and you know, he's you know this this girl, this love lost when he was sixteen, and he's a forty-five-year-old guy saying, ah, "I'm going to go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and try to <laughs> scoop her up right. somewhere." You know, like, yeah. it's, I I look at and and as far as love stories go. I mean, I don't think you can get more of a, a more of a smart and impactful. In my opinion, this is a top three love story movie of all time, and I'm not a big love story movie. Like for a love okay. story to pull me in, it's got to really be something. And, and I, I, I just do want to throw it to this: not everybody watches a movie to feel. Not everybody watches a movie to think. Not everybody watches a movie to get scared. Not everybody watches a movie to laugh. So, like, it, it, if you're not someone who watches a movie to feel something. And you're just going to sit there and watch this one and, and grasp on it technically. I'm not speaking for anyone specifically, but then you, maybe you're not going to connect in that area there. Just like how many people can fold their arms during an Adam Sandler movie and not even crack a smile. You know, it, it kind of <laughs> depends on what your, what your headspace Have is. Have you seen about. Grown Ups, bro? <laughs> <laughs> it's so, got 7% on Rotten Tomatoes or some shit like that. Uh, well, I'm going to push back on this because it's, it's kind of my job tonight. Um, yeah. But... Is this really a great love story if it's about two people that met each other when they were five years old? Like, would you really still care when you're 12? I don't know. Like, he when, I, does. When, I was in, when I was in middle school or high school, I didn't remember, like, a person that I went to pre-K with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, you're, okay. you all, you're we, also, your family also wasn't attacked by, uh, by radicals. We live in a very structured lifestyle with a lot of opportunities to find love in all sorts of places, okay. which is a privilege we have. This guy found love in, like, a hopeless place. <laughs> little Rihanna tie in. But he, he, um, he found love, and it's the only positive thing he's known basically since his mom died. And he just clings to that, and it's, it's, he just that drives him. So, so let's let's like start the, by let's start by talking to them as kids. This yeah. movie kicks off with the title line, "Some Dog Millionaire," while they're playing cricket. That great MIA song playing. We meet Jamal and we meet Salim, and Salim's running a little shtick at the uh, the outhouse where he's paying people to go to the bathroom. 
Jamal's in there and and has to uh, has to dive through. <laughs> He's getting paid. Well, they're paying him to go to the bathroom. Yeah. He's not paying them to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. They pay yes, him to use the outhouse. He's yeah. He's, he, he, he's got he's running the scheme where he's right. getting yes. He's, he's charging. He's charging. Right. He's charging. Yeah. It's not like the pee tape. Yeah. Like the golden <laughs> shower tape. <laughs> Let me watch you go to the bathroom for five dollars. Yeah. He's like, all right. Well, Danny Boyle doesn't mind. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me in a Danny Boyle movie. But. <laughs> he doesn't mind throwing feces scenes in there. That's dude. That's I'm sure. Don't. I don't want it yet. If you've seen Train Spotting. Don't you, get to you it. Get a little bit of that too. So stop it. Jamal dives through uh, through through the old pile of shit smelling foulness. Now Andy Dufresne probably should have looked like that when he came out of the right, hype at right, Shawshank. Right, right. You, you know, know he had like, a little more control though. He was hands and knees. He's full body in the like six feet right of yep. shit. Now yep. I have a question. Okay. Don't you just hold on to the bottom of the hole with your hands and try to like swing so maybe you don't land. Don't hold your nose and just fucking jump in it. Because it fully submerged in a yeah. I mean, tub of shit. It shape. is Amitabh Bachchan or he whatever. He did want to make sure he got that picture clean. So he's holding true, that above, above true, the old head. True. And this movie definitely lends itself to a little nitpicking. I definitely created a little list myself as, yeah. as we go here. But I, I myself would have probably tried to climb a little bit in that outhouse rather than dive, you know? I, I would have swung. I would have swung. And does the movie star still give him an autograph? This kid is running up to him covered in shit. Well, Wouldn't you know, I you think that that's... Have is one of that, your people, like, shoo him away? I think that was part of it, is, is that just everyone was so shocked that there's this little kid covered head to toe in Yeah, no one wanted to go near him. They didn't want to touch him, smell him. <laughs> and then the guy just froze and said, eh, all right, kid, you're covered in shit. Here's a, yeah. here's there's a, no American movie star that would have signed that autograph. So get this little <laughs> shit away from me. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> tell uh, me Sean Penn would... Uh, <laughs> Gotten his Sean Penn out and give the old autograph. The his did you just call Sean Penn's autograph pen his Sean Penn? Yeah, that's how, that's how he. Uh, that's Jesus, how he does it. wow, that's. And listen, man, Salim is a little bastard, you know. And I feel like we all knew a kid like this when we were when we were little, like a kid who just who would love to push the boundaries a little more than. Uh, I'm like, I didn't know anyone normal. like that. <laughs> <laughs> My friends did. Yeah. Um, if, if you feel like you don't know anyone, I, that's the joke. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been you. Yeah, I, I, I think that someone. I don't think that you were up to quite what Salim was up no, to. of course. With uh, with his level of defiance, but man, stealing his his brother's uh, his brother's picture and that's terrible. And sending it off that that hurts right out of the gate. And and Salim has a has an up and, up and down to him, and he's definitely a, a real shades of gray character. We get kind of real dark evil out of him and then we get real real heroic light too so love the performances from the kids too like they're the acting is great for non-child actors especially jamal yeah my pet peeve is children actors it's hard enough for a director to get a good performance out of one act one child actor in a movie mm -hmm. and like most of the movie is three children actors and then three older children actors which I do take issue with the way Salim looked in the middle. I oh, thought young Salim right. and old Salim look look perfect, but middle Salim's like a little chunky. Like he he eats well. He yeah, well, listen, hey, awkward teenage age here. Right? We're not gonna, you know, we're not all gonna, all right, all right. gonna be. A, a, I listen as far as the, the the kid acting goes. Like, obviously, you have to pat the back on whoever did the casting and whoever picked these kids out. But then the kids still have to get the job done. I credit that to Danny Boyle. Getting that out of kids is so impressive. These are facial reactions. They're, they're having, these are not short takes and, and either. Young you can Selim tell. is outstanding. Young Selim how he reacts to the adults. You get he he. I don't I don't know if they coached that in him or if the kid was just smart enough to get it. 
But every vision, you know, every reaction in his eyes and his face to every adult that he that he comes in contact with is shows the level of defiance that that character needs. Young Jamal too. I really felt like they were brothers. Like I really got that. that that's one of the things that really pulled me in right away. Is I bought their relationship right away. Their situation and their relationship. So the questions we they're, they're kind of doing this 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 alternate cut situation where we're cutting to present day where he's in the custody of the police and then he's telling his story to the police. Police have tortured him. They're not buying that, you know, what is there an is there an audience member coughing? Are you wearing a buzzer? Is there a chip in? You know, they're really they're really going after him, you know, Jack Bauer style, making sure they're getting some info out of him. And he is just I'm just gonna tell you exactly what happened. I knew the answers. The concept that someone could live a life and have every single specific question that they're going to be asked in a, in a who wants to be a millionaire game show situation. Of course, the probability of that is infinitesimal and would right. never be anything that you could even compute. But anytime that we are in this situation with these podcasts and, and I could just harp on Chris in the, in the Silence of the Lambs episode, it's a movie, all right? Let's okay. suspend disbelief, it's a movie. I think that this movie takes suspending disbelief and it dials it up to 10 on purpose, where it's going to get something so egregiously outrageous that that's what it's gonna to use to tell the deeper layers of, of what they're trying to come across. Clearly this movie has not resonated with everyone. This is not like a 99%er a, a that everybody says is an all-time classic that's on TV all the time, that, that is just a beloved movie up and down, for I think some of the reasons that you brought up already and that I'm sure that we'll get into as we go, but it's, He's an aggressive movie maker, Danny Boyle. So do you and think that there was a little bit of winking at the audience oh, in some way? Oh, I think there's I think that there's a lot of that there. The thing is, like, yeah, obviously when it's you, a, it's a, I'm sorry to interrupt. When you say winking at the audience, what specifically do you mean? Like, like hey, we all letting know you know that, I'm directing know this is crazy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that's like, I I so view like, that as the mechanism of the storytelling, is that this is this is I am going to rather than tell you I'm go- I, can do- I can do one of two things. I can tell you an airtight, logical story that makes sense, or I can tell you a movie that's kind of loosely based in reality, but a little goofy, but I want to get a point across, so I'm going to get it across that way. He went the other way. He goes, no, no, no. I'm going to come up with something so fucking outrageous that, and listen, he didn't come up with it. The, the, he took, when he looked at the script, and he, and he went, through, went through the script and said, is, in order to do this, in order to pull this off, we, we have to dial it up beyond 10. We have to really go upside down wild with this. And to me, that's kind of what they, what they did. Yes, my, my point earlier is not about not ever wanting to suspend disbelief in the movie. It's that for this story, it just seems inappropriate and weird. Like, if we're talking about Hobbs and Shaw and you've got The Rock holding onto a helicopter's <laughs> chain, then like, okay, I know this is a joke. This is an action movie. Like, this is just for fun. So yeah, I'll go with this. This will be this will be funny, um, but when we're spending disbelief and then watching like an orphan get his eyes burned out, then yeah, it turns me off a little bit. Uh, well, listen, let's talk about that scene right now because we're here. Uh, I so I hadn't necessarily seen this movie recently when I watched it for this this podcast. So like I, I remember loving it and I remember the greater concept of the movie. When we got to this part of the story where the, the, the local gangster brings in the kids after they lose their mother and, and takes them, you, 
you know, as the Coca Cola is ready and kind of brings them into his money making scheme, Slumdog voice American Idol situation, and they're all singing and, and do that. I just remember this is going. I, I don't remember exactly what happens, but something really bad and really dark is going to happen here. It was very ominous. The guy who goes around in the orphan truck just picking up, you know, parentless children. It's got to be one of the lowest people on the face of the earth yeah. in, in the history of, you know, every animal that's ever lived on yeah, earth. And, 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 he, the, and, the, and he's the great casting. He is as creepy. When he smiles, I'm like, ooh, he's not smiling for anything, any good, any <laughs> genuine joyous reason. He's, he's got plans. Yeah, when they're, like, the logic behind him blinding the kids is, like, oh, they, they make more money they're if they're really blind. <laughs> right. But it's well, like, okay, so what's the delta here? Like, right, right, they, right, would, right. they would make... Thirty dollars a week, but now they're going to make thirty-five. Right? Yeah. Like, like what? Like what? Yeah. What, how? How much money are you taking begging to begin with here? Like right, a so, dollar? Maybe right, they make a right. dollar fifty and, and, now. And yeah, what's that gap? Like, all right, well, a blind kid brings in a couple bucks more. Obviously outrageous, but I mean, do you think it's unfathomable to think that that's going on? I, I mean, the, the idea is that these are homeless kids living in a dump. He's picking them up left and right. Like, there's no, you know, it, it's it's nothing. And he's going through them. One yeah. through one through one, and People that's the point. Is that this is it could have happened, and that maybe that is a real thing. It seems like like selling your soul pretty hardcore at that that point when you go. Not only am I kidnapping them, making them into beggars, but I want to. I, I think I can get ten percent. I can maximize this. <laughs> well, and then he's saying, you know what? If you got a hundred kids and they're all bringing in ten percent more, then hey, that's another fifty dollars a week. Just saying. Well, a little later on in the movie, when, when the kids are teenagers and uh, there's that, that scene where they're visiting the opera, and that's, uh, the opera is the, the or, or, Orphe at, at Eurydice, you know, here I go again with, with my uh, of course. pronunciations, of course, but that's, it's, it's uh, the, the tale of Orpheus, but what, in the original telling of that opera, back when it first debuted, back in whatever century, they would castrate the male leads, the kid male leads, so that their voices would stay soprano. I actually thought that's what they were going to do to him when they first tie him down. And then he like, comes over with the things and goes near his eyes. And I, my reaction was what Salim's was. I want the barf. Right. So there's, you know, there is some layer to the storytelling there is, is where, okay, you know. And, and this, this, the tale of Orpheus is the tale of Orpheus' wife gets bitten by a snake on their wedding day, dies. Orpheus has to travel through the underworld find her, which is thematic with obviously what this story is, is that Jamal has to literally travel through the underworld of, of India to get there. And we get the, the first question he gets is, it's who's the, who's the celebrity that signs the autograph? And of course he knows him, but he just, that's one he would have known no matter what his situation was. He happened to have an, an encounter with the guy, but he said flat out, everybody knows who that guy is. Well, actually, I think he says any idiot in the slum, uh, any idiot in India knows who this is, and, the, and right. the, the guy who interrogates him, like, even I knew that one, Boston, he goes, see? Well, there you go, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Now, the second question is kind of like your typical, if you've ever seen the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? They throw that, like, sarcastic, like, joke question at you <laughs> in the right. first couple ones, like, where there's, like, couple goofy answers and then the, the right one where they, they kind of give you a layup. Could they have like made this one a little less of a slam dunk in this one? Like for him you know to... know what it was? What was it again? It, 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 was the, it was like what's the tagline of, of India or what's oh, right. the, the saying of India? But like the other three were so outrageous. Not that, that who wants to be millionaire doesn't do that all the That's time. That's what it is. But yeah. it's like you could just read that and know what it is based on that. Like 
you know, the, the, the flag doesn't say all life is about is money. All life is about is this. All life is about is fashion. Right. All life is about is truth. You know, like, okay, like, let's just use our, our logic here. He has to pull the audience for that. So I thought maybe, like, kind of make that question a little, a little trickier, but... Oh, you think that it was, like, a little disingenuous that he wouldn't know that? Like... I thought it was a little over the top. It's right. like, I get it that, like, now later on when they do the Benjamin Franklin and Gandhi thing, like, who's on, who's on the, the $100 bill? Benjamin Franklin's the question. Right. He gets that. With the all right, then he pulls out the the rupee. So who, well, who's on the the ten thousand dollar rupee or whatever the, the figure is? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, Gandhi. He's like, Oh, I think I know who that is. You know, like a, like yeah. a, a wise guy answer. But he's like, Well, how could you know it's on, it's on the American hundred, but not on the which right. which is probably equivalent of like their twenty dollar bill? And it's Gandhi. I thought that was kind of a, sh- a sharper answer because he doesn't come from wealth. Like he does, he doesn't handle money. He's never had that. He only happens to know the Benjamin Franklin thing because of that one specific instance that he had. And he rebuts the guy, which is this is a great scene in the movie. He's like, "Who stole so and so's bike out of so and so station the other day?" Yeah. And he's like, "Wait, you know who did that? Like yeah. he's obviously <laughs> yeah. been investigating Let's and has no case. idea." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, yeah, everyone over there knows who did it." And he's like, "Huh?" And yeah. I, I like that counterpoint. Yeah, so like uh, with with the questions, that was kind of like the only one that I that I goofed on a little bit with. Is just like, all right, like if he's sharp enough to remember some of these intricate intricate questions, but again, Great. then he kind of doesn't care throughout the whole thing. He says that I don't care about money. So I time. guess it's not like he would be strategically hoarding hoarding his lifelines anyway. So maybe just like, eh, I don't know. So I'll just pull the audience. So what is he thinking there? So he's he's going on the show because he knows that. The love of his life will be watching. Yeah, you're, you're incentivized to be on the show as long as you possibly can, right? Mm-hmm. So don't give me this. I don't know about. I don't care about money shit. Well, I you think that might as long as that might be more of a reason to use a lifeline. Is it's like okay, it's like I don't really know this. I don't have to say this because I just need as much experience. Yeah, as just get, get keep on the television long. And he's not long trying long. to save his lifelines. He's like, I just need to stay on TV. Yeah, I'm kind of also over the theme of I don't care about money in movies. It just like. They, they, it just goes to that in so many movies where, like, at the end of a movie, you know, someone either wins some money or they they come into a bunch of money and, like, the, they, they always just, like, give it away because that's the good person thing to do. And I'm like, uh, well, money is not, the fucking money. money's not insignificant in this movie, though. It, it, it even flat out, there's the point where he, he meets, meets Latika later on and, you know, it's like, well, what are we going to live on? You know, there is, like, an idea of, oh, just love. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily have to work. So he does, like, in many respects, he does kind of need the money. Uh, That's my something. quote of the movie. Because right, so, I think that quote actually sums up pretty much the, the whole movie. Um, is, so we're we're going to go into that whole scene in the okay. third act. So I want to – because I want to – I have a lot to say about that. So we're wrapping up maybe the first act here. One of the things to me that, that I love about Danny Boyle movies is how he uses camera work to tell a story and music to tell a story. And I think that he, he takes the two of these – he does it in all of his movies, but I think in this movie it just kind of just clicks at an apex point for him where he has – the cinematographer that, that he uses in this one, Anthony Dodd-Mantle, was with him for 28 Days Later and with him for 127 Hours, too. So they kind of had that team going together. Every time you see a character seeing another character through something, and he uses it all the time. It's a window. It's usually a railing. It, there's a distance between the two characters. 
And it's, and of, you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, of course, that seems pretty like, oh, literal, but he does it in a fast and crafty way where it's, it's how you live your life. So you're, you're moving past and then you kind of catch someone through the door, catch someone through the window. And that's every time you sing Latika. And there's one scene right before Jamal is gonna go to, to sing for the gangster. And essentially what, if, if Sunil doesn't hop in, he's gonna lose his eyes too. And this is gonna answer your question, Rob, what you're talking, or not, not answer it, but my reaction to it is that are, are, they, are they really falling in love as kids? There's a moment where Jamal's waiting to, to sing. Salim is off with the other poor poor boy who's, who's gonna go blind. Salim, they're like, go get Jamal. Salim comes back and Jamal and Tika are, are, are talking with each other. They're sitting on, on the steps and they're dreaming. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the biggest singer in, in India and I'm gonna do this and we'll live together and they're, and they're dancing and they're just happy. They're smiling, and these are two kids who, before they were in this situation, were living in a, in a dump, in a, in a makeshift tent, and they're with each other, and he found her, he brought her in, he saved her. When his mom got hit with the rebar, and, and they died, and they're in that boxcar, and it's raining, he pulls her in from the rain. He brought her in here, they're together, they're happy. Jamal comes back to get him, and through the railing sees them, and sees them holding hands and embracing, and sees how happy are and how connected his brother is with her that his reaction inside is, I have to break this up. Like she's taking my brother away. My brother doesn't, isn't with me anymore, he's with her. The beauty of the Jamal character, and we'll get into this as we go obviously, is, is that he never loses his connection with his brother or with Latika. He stays with them the entire time. And you can see the separation between the couple and, and Salim. And that leads into what goes on with the train when he lets go and, and they escape and, and they go from there. But I, I thought that the love between those two characters was enough for me to believe that at 18 they would, they would still love each other. No, I agree. The only thing they had was love. So they clung to it. Well, Jamal clung to it more. Lat Latika seemed a little wiser to the fact that you need to survive too. Uh, Salim also was wise to that. Um, they, they were more survivalists, and he was more like a hopeless romantic in like this terrible situation where you should not be a hopeless romantic. You right. should be a survivalist. Yeah, I think there's a theme of innocence with Jamal. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Just and, to keep being optimistic and keep going up to something. Even when he's getting tortured, he's, just, yeah. he's innocent while he's being tortured. <laughs> and, and a lesser movie, to me, makes the, the lover and the, the kid with the heart on his sleeve, and I have to find my love, I have to find my love, the only focus and his pursuit to find Latika is the only focus. But the reality of the situation is, is without Celine, Jamal's blind. Let's forget about all the other stuff that's going to happen and forget about him getting him out of the other situation. He's blind. He, he takes him right in there. Boom. That, that love story is over because now he's just a blind beggar on the side of the road. There's a lot of tiny little decisions that get made throughout this entire movie that have drastic consequences. Salim letting go of Latika's hand consciously she became basically her her life was completely different than it would have been had she got on the train with them the next the next scene so so he he changes the trajectory of Jamal's life by saving him from the from the thugs who were going to blind him and then as they all escape with Latika to get on the train changes the trajectory of Latika's life the exact opposite way Tit for a tat. 
total dirtbag move. Pro quo. Yeah. You give me one. You you give me one. I give you one. And Latika's then yeah yeah just cast into the underground. And she just stands there after she she lets go. She's like shit. Like I'm done. I'm not and catching that train. That's the snake bite. That's the snake bite that sends her to the underworld. Let me ask a question here. While we're on the innocence theme, and obviously we've talked about these crazy coincidences throughout the whole movie, is Jamal the Indian slumdog Forrest Gump? <laughs> you know what, man? Wow, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's a he's that's a strong, completely loyal. Well, he's his not childhood uh, love. He's you know not very intelligent. They've covered that in the movie. That's not me making a judgment. Um, and there's all these crazy coincidences, like in Forrest Gump, you know, just being on the uh, the shrimp boat when the hurricane wipes out all the other boats, uh, rubbing his face on a t-shirt when there's mud on it. Yeah, just comes out as a smiley face uh, logo. There is a lot of Gump in this movie. I never thought of that. And I don't know that he's not intelligent. He's just not learned. He doesn't know a lot of things. Right. But he's he doesn't cool. seem dumb. Like he's he, not cool. His only right. experience, his last experience in class, is reading the Three Musketeers he, book, and they haven't even gotten up to who the third Musketeer is. All they know is the first two because they started the book and they never went to school again. Right. So I, I just want to throw that out there. But we'll, we'll throw it out early. Is that a little too easy of a, of a, of a final question? Uh, I mean, what's it later? I'll tell you right now. I would have got it wrong. I would have. No, I thought it wrong the answer too. was D'Artagnan. I, I thought it was D'Artagnan. I I the, I would the first time I saw this I would I would have thought it was C D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. I was like, oh, he's totally. And then he guesses A. I'm like, no, would he's you got have it wrong. That one if you're, if no, you're in I would Hudson? not have gotten that right. No, right. but but would it be the million dollar question or the twenty million in dollar India? Movie? In India, mm-hmm. have yeah. people read Three Musketeers? True. Yeah, Maybe right. they went that way intentionally because they knew that he wasn't a learned. They also guy. might assume that the audience knows D'Artagnan's part of Three Musketeers. Most of the audience probably hasn't read the actual book Three Musketeers, and no one knows that who is it, Aramis? Is that the name? Uh, yeah, Aramis. Yeah, I would I would never even never even guess that as, as yeah. one of the answers. And I knew yeah, Athos yeah, and Porthos. Like, I probably would have guessed D'Artagnan because right. that's the only yeah. thing that I had heard of. And I figured they picked that question on I, purpose to fool the audience because everyone knows D'Artagnan's part yeah. of the story. I knew it wasn't Herbal. Cardinal Jabroni. Jabroni. <laughs> Was that the real, a real option? <laughs> okay, so we're headed, to, we're headed to Act 2 here now. The kids are, are starting to age up. So we get this, and, and, and we brought up Salim letting Latika go, and, and now him and Jamal are on the, the boxcar headed to the next stage of their life. And we get this this train scene with the MIA... Paper planes. MIA paper planes playing. Talking about scenes of the movie, this is one for me that is gonna be up there. First of all, it's the perfect song. The vibe is exactly what this movie needs at this point. Danny Boyle went and sought out the song specifically for this movie. I think that if you, if you watch this scene alone, you can get the, the total vibe and the total message that, that Danny Boyle is going for with, with his style of filmmaking in this particular movie, just in that one scene. I mean, them moving through the train, the song playing, they're, sometimes they're on the roof, sometimes they're hanging off the side, sometimes they're in, they're doing what they can to survive. It's obviously not the same train every time. You know, they're moving around. They're, they they're, fall off they, all of them. They're, they, <laughs> and they're finding their next stage of life. And there's one like little quick shot of them of them sleeping on the train and Salim looking over Jamal. And when we talk about trains signifying moving to the next stage of life, this train, train in quotes, the box car until the one they finally fall off from the Taj Mahal, when they do that awesome shot of them as young kids falling off the train, rolling, and then aging up into teenagers. 
to me, really smart, really well shot, sharp. Very Danny Boyle. It reminded me of uh, some of 127 Hours when he's running through the you know the wilderness and um, some of the beach, like the video game scene. And um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. The scene of them on the roof holding hands, trying to stay awake, is very powerful to me. They're both awesome. like they're gonna they're both falling asleep, so yeah. holding hands is the way they don't fall off the train. Like one of them doesn't fall off the train. If yeah. they fall, they'll both fall. But yeah, and and then the, and the, the train is signifies their their life in the in the slums or wherever they're at now. You know, I mean, and they're right on top of the train, and in the train is people feasting, eating yeah. whatever they want, living like the life of luxury. There's a fat kid in there. Oh, he's got a, like a turkey leg in one hand, and he's like, "Oh, look, this, a mouthful of food." He's like, "This kid's stealing." <laughs> like, that's and the other little the little snippet scene in that one too. Jamal is is tied to the rope. And that's a, I think this is right after they fall off for the last time. And that's just to me that sums up Salim and Jamal. Listen, I got this great plan, but you're going on the rope. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to make sure you don't die. But you're going on the rope, and that's that sums up Salim in a, in a nutshell right there. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. He'll he'll keep them both alive. But you're going to be a little closer to the blade than others. He's, yeah, he's in a better, a better situation. The song Paper Planes by M.I.A. is an interesting kind of like element within this movie. So it, it comes out, the song comes out in February of 2008. And Danny Boyle knew of the song, wanted it for the movie, sought it out, said I have to have this in, in the movie. In between the time of them making this movie and then M.I.A. obviously writes a song for the movie too that she gets nominated the Oscar for doesn't that's win. the opening credits the opening right? credits yeah. Right? yeah it doesn't win and there's also that kind of alternate version of Paper Planes in the next scene after the trains it's like a it's like a remix that music is definitely way tied into the into this movie but in between them filming this movie and the movie coming out that song gets super popular because of a different movie because it's in the trailer of Pineapple Express. Right, yeah. And that's when this movie skyrockets. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, that's when the song skyrockets. That song is huge. And, yeah, it, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it, so it has, in this year, is part of the best picture winner and one of the highest grossing movies of the year in Pineapple Express. And she's going viral over the song. It gets to number four on the Billboard charts, but what a year. You know? And that year she performed at the Grammys on her due date. Really? She was due that day, and she went out there and performed Holy Paper Planes. Yep. Watch it. Oh, yeah. Google it. She's full. She is full. That's incredible. She's probably dilated down there. You know? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. And, well, uh, of course, the heel has to go there. Sri Lankan. The heel. Oh, well, what if I got the heel thing? The guy who doesn't like a movie he hasn't seen. <laughs> well, I'm clearly the heel tonight. Yeah, but uh, Sri Lankan artist, right? Am I? Oh, yeah. yeah. This movie, actually, this is totally irrelevant. I wasn't going to bring it up. But this oh. movie got me into her. And I like pretty much every song she's ever put out. And I'd say in the last, like, 20 years, there's, like, three artists where I've been like, wow, I like this artist. And I like all their music. Yeah. And she's one of them. And What's I, the most I, recent one, Artie? Post Malone. Post Malone. <laughs> My ignorance okay. has quelled. You were bobcatting <clears throat> Post Malone for years. Never yeah. missed. <laughs> no, I was. Then... I lumped him in. I'm on board with Post Malone. Yeah, well, that Nirvana set that he did was just incredible. That, that literally got me in Post Malone. I listen to every song. I've, uh, he's had, well, anyway. About the MIA song, it was one of the handful of songs and that when I heard it for the first time, I'm like, what the fuck is that? I haven't heard anything yeah. like that before. I, you know, pull out Shazam. I need to find out what that song is. 
And they're not all like Grammy Award winning best songs of the year, but it was just so distinctive yeah. that it kind of really caught me off guard. And I first heard it in the Pineapple Express uh, trailer. Yeah, yeah. So all that chorus, the gunshots. I mean, all I want to so do is creative. basically shoot you and take your money. Like yeah. all I want to do is. So the so her songs are all like that. They're all they're this own unique kind of genre that right. you don't you never heard anything like it. And like, with a British accent. Yeah, well, Sri Lankan, yeah. Like, but it's British. British. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's somewhat attractive, yes. Understatement. So our, uh, our, our boys are... All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> our boys are teenagers now. They've moved to the shoe game. They're stealing shoes, reselling. you got to take your shoes off at the Taj Mahal. So that's a great opportunity to kind of snatch American shoes and resell them. And they have this kind of scam with a, with a car or... or they, they hijack a, or they take someone's tires and they, they get a, it, it. It lands them a $100 bill, basically, more more or less, which is the is the reason that uh, well, Jamal they, knows. They distract the cabbie who is uh-huh. driving the two rich white American people. Right. And they hijack the car. They steal it, leave it on cinder blocks. They take all the parts. And the cabbie beats up Jamal. And the American wife is like, Wait, hold on, don't do this. Let me show you how we do things in America. And then she looks at her husband to throw money at the problem. Right, right, like, right. Give him some money. I'm like, <laughs> right. That is how we do things you a in America. Taste of America. Yeah, well, I'll show yeah. you how we do right. things. Uh, honey, uh, give him $100. Open your wallet. That's a pretty lame line. <laughs> it's, it's so lame, but it's, it is works. Is that coming from Boyle, like maybe not liking America that much? Uh, I don't know. Might be a little British. Might be a little uh, British shot at the US of A. They would have benefited from these apps like Poshmark and uh, <laughs> Threadflip. They're all out now with people reselling their. Yeah, but, their uh, their let go. Yeah. Let go is another one. <laughs> wow. After they have their fun at Taj Mahal, they, they do what they get to do. They go back to, to the old slums to try to find Latika. Jamal insists it's really kind of the only time when the two of them are together where Jamal insists on anything. And he, he wants to go back and, and find Latika. And, and what, one cool thing I, uh, I liked was when they're, where they're working as dishwashers or busboys or something. Salim is having no part of working an honest job. It's just not. <laughs> he's sleeping. Not, he's sleeping with like chickens and roosters sleeping on top of him. You know, like, he's yeah. been there so long that there's like, there's animals on top of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's just not not having it. We're not doing this. And you drag me back here. There's there's 16 billion people in the world. What do you? What does this one girl matter? Like let's. Right. So they did. So I, and that, and that kind of goes back. Like Danny Boyle does throw that logic on you. That's missing in every Disney love story. It's like, well, come on. You like Cinderella can't find anyone else to fit this. Like, the, the Prince Charming's got to find the person who owns this one glass slipper. Like, come on, yeah. there's, there's all these millions of people. So he does kind of throw that that narrative out there through something. Yeah, that gives a little satisfaction, like intellectually. Like, yeah. okay, I'm not the only one thinking that. Right. You know, in a country of 1.4 billion people, you're not going to be able to find someone else. <laughs> right. And he's he doesn't care. Jamal's just hopeless. He's like, whatever. I'm I'm looking. This is what I live for. Salim's like, you know, we should probably get a like a you know an underworld no, job or something. You know what though, man? Like wh- one thing that is consistent with Jamal is, and both Latika and Salim say it to him. And when they when they meet again as adults, Salim goes, "Are you still going on about right. this Latika stuff?" He's like, "Still?" He's like, "Wait, we're still doing this?" Like right. what? And when he meets Latika as a vault, she says. You still believe in Salim, right? And he goes, "Yeah, I do." And there's a—that's the—he's so innocent. He's never changed from being a child to 
being an adult, to Rob's point, like innocence is all Jamal well, is. Off. I mean, Latika as an adult, I don't want to skip ahead here, but is incredibly beautiful. Beautiful. Um, way out of his league. Yeah, Freda so Pinto. The, the innocence really paid off. Freda Pinto, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Unfortunately, this character gets sexualized at that young age, right. and it's not just the older men. It then turns into the brothers. And when they finally go back and they find her, there's the, un- the uncomfortable scene there where she's dancing and... and so I have a feeling Rob has a problem with the scene. <laughs> wait, 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 which scene are we talking about? Where Jamal and Salim and Latika are older, but they're where Salim kind of was like, all right, F you, Jamal, like, get out of here. I'm staying with Latika. Yeah, well, I mean, dude, that was a hard scene. Uh, so he, 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 kills the, he kills the scumbag gangster who blinds the kids. That's super satisfying. And this is kind of Salim's thing. He does something so heroic and then does something so evil. That, to me, is the best scene of the movie. Where, where he... When he when Latika, Jamal, and Salim turn around, and that guy and the, the other two people that were there that night when they escaped are standing in the doorway, blocking the doorway of the three of them, I'm like, oh, my fucking God. I'm like, oh, my God, they're, they're back in it. They're fucked. And uh, when Salim... Pulls out a gun. I'm just pulls like, out holy. the Colt 45. I'm like, holy fucking shit! This guy is gonna. This is a. This scene just took a turn. And, yeah, and, and that's and, my favorite scene in the movie. And one 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 kind of thing that I liked about this that I, this again this is to me this is Danny Boyle kind of popping on screen is is the victim's logic of it's always you know there's the victim and oh the killer's seen me like please let me live let me live and the killer's like yeah okay you know you know but you know you're not gonna live you're gonna you took you took your mask i took my mask off you see me you know my face yeah and you have you have maman the the gangster maman looking at he's like all right all right come on silly put the put the gun down well let's let bygones be bygones that you reverse the situation yeah where now the kid he's like he's gonna he's gonna just like he's like little kid i'm gonna he goes no, my mom never forgets, right? My mom never forgets. Goes, yeah. Well, maybe my mom forgets this one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Goes, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. You know, and once he uh, puts the pillow over the gun, I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna fucking do it. Yeah. And some muscle he's got there, just like uh, who just like runs away, like ah! you know, like well, how yeah, about but, like you jump the kid with the gun while he's shooting your boss? And you know? back to the point of Salim and Latika being all about survival is the second he shoots Maman, Latika starts stealing his money. And just shoving it into her pockets, like we need all this. Like if we're going to get away from this situation, we need all this money. Yeah, it's, it's it's survival at its finest. And Jamal's still oblivious when he gets shot. He just stands there in in a daze. Like, I liked out of out of the questions, the the million dollar questions. I think I liked the Colt forty five one the best. I think I liked it the least. Oh really? Okay. I thought when he goes, the man with the Colt forty five says, I thought that was contrived. I thought that was forced. Wow. That's the one line in the movie I have issue with. Interesting. I so thought I, it was forced. Okay, so I had an active, an opposite take on that, which, yeah. is, which is... The other answers I thought came pretty organically. That one seemed pretty forced. Like, that line was written so we can get the answer. Why do you think yeah. it was forced? You think he wouldn't know what... I just don't think... Was? That line seems weird to say to your brother as you're you kicking him. You think he would say, I'm the man with the gun. You get, the, you get the fuck out of here. I'm pointing a gun at you. Yeah, not... The, the man with the cult 40, he references himself <laughs> yeah. in the third person. So, I don't like that line. I think first that's of all, the I, one line I don't. Yeah, I, I was, you know, right before you, you buried it, I was going to hop out and, and say how much I loved it. Just because I like I liked the poetry of it. Shut up! The man with the cult 45 says shut up! Right. I don't know why I became Jamaican all of a sudden. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was uh, but yeah. it, you know what? It, 
I just liked it because it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, like he like was like searching through his things and he happened to find a box and in the gun was a box and the box said Colt 45. It was something that his brother said to him in the moment that, that the two of them split and basically their, their relationship ended. Right. And that's what his brother decided to say. And he doesn't even know that, that that's who invented the revolver. He just, he just happened to hear, he used the, the phrase Colt 45. He sees Samuel Colt. And, you know, it's just yeah. Samuel Colt. Right, he know? doesn't find out that Samuel Colt invented the revolver in that scene. Right, he just there's knows no that definitive revolver thing. is Colt. It was just, yeah, I, I thought, I thought in, and this is, I get your point. I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I think that there might be a little bit of creative uh, narrative going on there. But to me, like, I thought in Salim's character, I'm the man now, I'm the boss. I don't just have this, but I know what it is and I know how to use it and... Jamal, if you think I won't shoot you just like I, I shot the gangster, I will. Right. You know, and I, I, I thought it had some, some nice... It's just that one it. sentence I have a problem yeah, with. Yeah. The man with the, the man Colt, with 45. Colt 45. Shot you know, they, rele- they reveal all the other answers so, so fluidly and organically. But if they fluidly and organically did it every single time, it's kind of like the cricket question where he just sort of knows cricket because he played it like a kid and yet was on TV. But honestly, dude, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I just want to say, already welcome, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> no, I, I, listen, this is zone, one of my favorites. It's, it's welcome. <laughs> the to the nitpick n- zone. Yeah, I'm gonna, I could find one or two things in any movie except maybe two. Oh, I don't think that there's a movie we'll cover on this list where the nitpick zone won't be well lived in. I, mean, I think. I think the Godfather. You know, maybe the Godfather. Yeah. Godfather, Godfather one and two. I can't find anything wrong with. When whenever we get there, whenever we get there, we'll see. Is it? You can nitpick. Any fictional tale, yeah. I think you can you can just say, would this guy really have done that? Would he really have said this? Would he really have? You know, the answer is it doesn't matter because I'm telling a story, and in this story, he did. You know, how many times you go about your day of life and someone does something fucking bonkers, and you're like, why would anyone do that? But they did it. You yeah. know, and you, you watch them do it. Yeah. Did they do it as many times to help you answer every single who wants to be a millionaire question? No, you know, I don't know. You can always jump on like continuity issues and. Yeah, well, that's that's something you're not going to find in the Godfather. There are no continuity, continuity issues, zero. So that that's a pretty grisly ending of their relationship there as teenagers. You know, uh, he, he knows how much his brother loves this girl, and he's essentially taking her for his own. Yeah, that's rough. Not uh, <laughs> not. But how about her reaction though? She's like, Jamal, just go. Like to survive. Yeah. Just go. I'll stay with him. He's the one with the gun. He's the one with the power. The way I've survived so far is by just being submissive to the person with the gun in right. charge. And even when, when Jamal and her are alone, she goes, where's Salim? And then Salim comes in. He's like crushing Takate or some weird beer. Yeah. And then he comes in and he, with the gun and he just decides to be a tough guy. Jamal could have argued, hey, man, you just went on about how there are so many women out there. Why do you have to take this one? <laughs> You have a gun. You have money. Yeah, <laughs> as horrible as that is. And why is he? Because I'm the Jamal man with the Colt 45, yeah. bitches. And why is he kicking Jamal out? Why? Well, first of all, he's drunk, right? And he's feeling. He's feeling. Uh, he just maybe like, afraid of Pinto, and God, you know, he, he just likes taking away whatever Jamal has that makes him happy. Yeah, and in his eyes, he just saved it's... again. He just saved them both, so now he deserves to be rewarded. That's every time he does a moment of heroism, comes the moment of great evil until his final moment of heroism at the end. His last words are the same last words Gandhi had. Uh, Rob, so we asked, we asked, uh, I asked each of you guys to pick a quote, and um, we unfortunately we zipped past yours. So what did what did you come up with? 
Um, okay, so I couldn't really find one that blew me away as far as the emotional impact because we all know what state I was in when I was watching the movie. I, I, I didn't. I was not invested. But I do like when Young Jamal just says um, when he's you know when he's going to the bathroom in the outhouse scene, and uh, I guess Salim is banging on the door. He says, well, "Since when is there a time limit on a crap?" <laughs> and like, Good for you, Jamal. Is that like a metaphor? Anyone else has ever been rushed out of a bathroom? Yeah. But like, just shut up. Give me yeah. a second. Let me let a let me. I, I like that one piece. too. It's a, it's a shy one. That's really brilliant. So is that like a metaphor for the movie for you? No, that's just you me. can't rush a crap. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, Rob. Like, so you said you it kind of this one started losing you with the the blinding the blinding scene. Mm-hmm. Right. Was there a part where it kind of got you back a bit? Or at that point, was it just kind of like a downward s- snowball where you're like, now your, your arms are folded and you're just... I did. I think that uh, the, the two kids kind of charming their way into being tour guides at the Taj Mahal okay. kind of endeared me back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty fun. It's a fun scene. Yeah. yeah. I know that this, is, this would never have been based on a true story because of the infinitesimal odds of the game show, but... If the game show is not part of this, and this was a true story about this kid finding the love of his life, and they and they actually said that, then I think I would have been more, you know, willing to go with it. Right. So you just, yeah, you at the end of the day, you just couldn't get past that. Couldn't believe the it. grid, right? The the, the grid and the, the screen of yeah. this movie. I think that's something that's happened with movies since you know in the last 10, 12 years since this came out. There's all it's just I don't know. Maybe this is not. I don't have any evidence to back this up. There seems to be a lot more movies that are based on true stories now than there were 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah, the original screenplay is, is a little trickier, and then there's, you see a ton of remakes, you see a ton of biopics. And superhero ton, movies. Yeah. And then superhero movies, which Two again, aren't creative either, because they're True they're story, from, and then complete fantasy. Yeah, but yeah. based but still based on a comic book that's already right, been written. Right, you right, know? So it's right. not like an original idea in right. any Marvel shit. Um, I, that's why I kind of believe with this movie, and I can get my head around some of its divisiveness with, with why some people don't love it. I don't think any other filmmaker could have made this movie. I think that in order to make this work, it had to be Danny Boyle. I think that any anyone else I can even come up with, Rob, your point would have would have leaked into me with it too, where it's just like, why are we making a movie about Slumdog Millionaire? Tarantino. He could, yeah, he could, he could take a movie about... I don't... Think that he would do stuff it. And, and like a crazy plot and make it work. I don't know. Well, he definitely wouldn't do it. He would write the script. I have the person yeah. who would do it the worst, and everyone would be like, wow, this sucks. It's, I, w- it's, I wonder who you're going to pick, Odie. No, it's Ridley Scott. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. If Ridley great. Scott made I this you were movie bury Marty again. with all his, like, have you ever seen Man on Fire oh with Denzel? God. Yeah. With the font, like the text comes up on the screen. Like he does that a little bit. Tony Scott, not Ridley Scott. Tony Scott, I'm sorry. Tony Scott. Tony Scott. This if could... Tony Scott made this movie, it would be too, too much. It would be too much director hand in the pot and you not know, enough that's, story. That's interesting. Because he's very hit or miss. Now, first of all, if Ridley Scott made this movie, this movie would be... Would be the shy crap that uh, has no time limit to fall out of someone's ass. <laughs> it would be but. all Jamal walking in the field with his hand, <laughs> his hand on wheat. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Scott is, is probably the next guy who would try this. And I think he would fail horrendously. Yeah, wouldn't, and everyone wouldn't would be like, this movie sucks. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a fine line making this movie. Yeah. Good. Next, we're going to go through Danny Boyle's career and go, and go through his movies. But I, I think that if you look at Danny Boyle's career, and I think he tries 
in some of his movies to like insert his style and make his style work and maybe it there's movies like The Beach where it's a little forceful uh-huh. yes. and it's like whoa whereas this the forcefulness in this movie is in the script mm-hmm. and they're like wow they did this for me and now yes he has the moment where like Jamal meets Salim's adult in the in the building and he like tackles them and they both fly off the building I love that like, yeah but that's classic Danny Boyle quick like, dream the, sequence yeah. he didn't overdo it he did a quick one right and, and that's much appreciated for me but he's, dream sequences are my least favorite part and he's big on those movies. He, and he the is Danny, Danny Boyleness is much more tempered in this than something like The Beach, where pretty much everyone who's ever seen it agrees that the video game scene should, what is going shouldn't on there? be in there. Right? What is going on? So when we talk about Danny Boyle, guys, we have to start with Trainspotting. That was that was the movie that put him on the map. That's the project that put him on the map. Could have kind of easily been one of those movies where the guy came out with this with this great this great project. Critics loved it. Indie success cult classic and then we kind of don't hear from this guy again and he really built a career from this Rob I'm going to let you lead with, with train spotting here let's start with uh, yeah I thought it was I thought it was just such a fun movie there's this is kind of like the era where a bunch of these did you say fun movie dude I, I'm going to I'm going to stop you just stop them I'm going to stop you that is a common take I, that, I, that is what he's saying I've heard more people than not say the same exact things Rob, Rob continue but like yeah no I, I, you didn't audience didn't see Artie's face no funny or fun scenes in this movie. So you've got the the one uh, kind of weird dude who uh, sleeps over the girl's house and then shits in the <laughs> sheets and then comes out down to breakfast. Yeah, right. The weird looking guy, right? And they yeah, rip, yeah. And they rip it off and it goes over the table. Yeah. Another weird shit thing with Danny Boyle. Yep. Um, Robert Carlyle is an absolute psycho. Uh, he's like the, the guy with the mustache. Yeah, he's just kind of constantly yelling. Drops at people. the mug on someone's head, right? right. Um, and this is this is in that era of really cool British indie films like Snatch and like this is like Guy Ritchie era. This came, comes out. Um, I don't know. I, I always got a kick out of Train Spotting. So I have a couple bones to pick with you about Train Spotting. Okay. I text me, Rob, you, the world, me, you, okay, Kieran, okay, you. Oh wow! Here we go. You told me I needed to watch this movie for this podcast. Okay, number one. Number two, I told you I was setting an alarm to watch it first thing this morning. I was going to wake up and watch it before my family wakes up. Okay. That's good. Number two. That's important. Number three. I have two children, one of which just went through every baby stage and is now one years old. I started this movie... And okay, I, I just want to stop you real, real quick. I did preface it by saying it's super difficult to watch. You did not? No, no. When I said I'm setting an alarm to wake up in the morning and watch oh, it, you no, said, I let you go you said it's 90 minutes. You should breeze right through it. That's true. That's true. Well, but, that, but earlier in the week, I, I did say train spotting is really tough to watch. It's tough to stomach. But you you're should gonna, watch it, you said. Well, because it's necessary for this. It's necessary. If you're going to have a conversation about Danny Boyle's career, you can't have not seen Trainspotting. You can't. It's important. It's important. Go. You could just go. Well, anyway. So I put this <laughs> I movie mean, on. When you told me you said a large word, that's, that is I woke up a disturbing the, way to watch it's the, the movie. Day, on, it's on. the day of the podcast. I wanted to watch it. So I, I set an alarm. I woke up. I watched it. And Did we, I not say make sure your kids are nowhere near the You did. That's why okay, I woke up right, early. It's the only time I have. It's either that or late at night. Late at night, I can't appreciate it. So I, I, I put it on, and I'm watching it, and I text our podcast group chat, and I said, wow, this is hard to watch. And that was the scene where he's digging through the shit bowl for the suppository More that he shit out. Yeah. 
Okay, so that was hard to watch. I don't know if you noticed. I didn't text again the rest of the day. Anyone? I did, I did and then Ke- and then Joey said, "You guys excited for tonight to report to record?" I didn't answer that. I said yes. Yeah, it's an upsetting one, man. So I got forty-one minutes into this movie. There is a scene where the woman is screaming hysterically, and then uh, they show two times a dead baby in a crib. I shut the movie off. 41 minutes into it. I will never watch this movie again. I stared into space for about two minutes. <laughs> I went upstairs. I hugged both my kids. I laid with them. I yeah. swear to God, while this happened. I then spent four and a half hours cleaning my house. <laughs> I don't do that. I, <laughs> I went on a... I took a break. Wait. I took a break. I went on a 30-minute run. I haven't run in nine years. Like Nine years. Really Sounds like this was well, a great yeah. experience for you, Artie. I then came home and continued to clean for two to three more hours. I didn't eat. This movie uh-huh. ruined my day. So and it changed my life. I didn't make it past this part. I don't know the spoilers. This okay. is halfway through the movie. I can't. I, dude, why you didn't say, don't watch this in the movie. You have small kids. You may not want to watch it. You don't want to watch Chernobyl, right? <laughs> you don't have any interest in watching Chernobyl, right? No interest. Well, okay. Same thing. Wow. I'm, I don't care. About, I can't. Oh, the cinematography, the color schemes. I don't care. <laughs> I was so traumatized. My day was ruined. <laughs> I, my den. You should see my den. It's immaculate. Sounds like I, you had a really productive day. Jesus Christ. Um, I went for a run out. in the field. <laughs> yeah. I, watched this, I watched it probably in my early 20s. And so obviously not a father now, nor was I at that point. Um, so that, that's, that's a little less, um, it's not as disturbing as you might have found it. Uh, but when I did see that, I was like, that was my first interaction with really understanding how bad some drugs ruin lives and the, the things that they make people do it's like holy shit yeah they, have, and, uh, they, have, I mean, they did a hit right after life has been apparently is apparently is like an accurate description of what the life of this, as a heroin addict is and I, i'd love to tell you that there was some kind of dramatic swing in that movie that redeemed everything in it already and i think that you got the gist 40 minutes in but from a from a, a filmmaking standpoint all that other stuff again you don't want to hear it and i think we started this podcast off by saying not every kind of movie is for everyone and dude that's a nice i thought i was gonna love like 93 percent i thought i was gonna love it yeah it's it's not it's it, it's witty dialogue it's well written very it's well, well shot. shot very it's, well shot it's well color, acted, the color usage it's is different phenomenal. but it, it's super heavy and super upsetting it's like I mean, it's like again like a requiem for a dream like all the filmmakers it makes there, requiem but... for a dream look like moana it is that bad <laughs> oh silence of the lamps i'm listening to you guys talk about eating faces and putting scalps on i'm like this is nothing compared to what i watched this i morning. sense a grant z meme coming with that oh with my that, god i think it's important in in one of the you know maybe i should have given you a little more of a disclaimer on that one but when you look at Danny Boyle's career, and, I, and one of the things that I like so much about Danny Boyle's filmmaking is that every single one of his movies has a heart to it and has a, a human element of love to it that is so hard to replicate in other movies in, in a task that is tried over and over and over and over and over again in everybody that tries to make movies. He just has that natural knack of putting a soulful heartbeat within a movie and I think it might be, or one of the reasons why it is so real is because his first movie and the movie that got him on the scene 
is such a cold, dark, heartless movie. A lot of voiceover too early on. There is some voiceover, and I don't like it. Yeah. Are you, are you talking about is Turner that Fox? why you jogged and cleaned your house because the voiceover disturbed you so much? No, that's not why. That is, I, I literally, guys, I like when I tell you, remember Saw 2? I said I went outside and went for a walk after yeah. that scene. This is that times 100. Like, I was ruined for the day. Well, he had to humanize the, the addicts in that movie in some way. Yeah. And, you know, maybe just giving him witty banter is not the way to do it. But, you know, you couldn't just do a movie with people laying prostrate, in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he takes on really, really serious topics. Yeah. yeah, and then puts a kind of lightness in the movie in some way, whether it's the like the banter, he, in, he, humor in Train Spotting, or the game show in Slumdog. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's for, pretty for well contrast. documented. There's no easy way to make a heroin movie. Well, either you're going to make it be cheesy and not apt, or you're going to make it like really hard to watch and I think he's fine he, he made a scene I'm, I'm uh, that scene is, is I thought they were going to stare in the crib and everyone was going to be sad and I was like I could deal with this and then they literally pan a camera along and that just ended it for me I was like so, I can't watch this I literally can't the next one we go through we're going to be a little more spoiler friendly on because they're movies that I really genuinely recommend people to watch at least the ones that I've seen that I talk about one of our loyal uh our loyal social media followers and, and a, a listener of the podcast is Catherine Short, and she likes to submit questions to us, and she has one ready to go for this one, and it's obviously applicable to this stage of the uh, of the episode we're talking about. And, sh- and Catherine Short writes, why do you think that this was the film that allowed Danny Boyle to achieve success with the Academy when it is not one of the more acclaimed entries to his filmography? And I think she means critically acclaimed there. Uh, what are your thoughts on his directorial style? So let's, rather than just answering that directly right out of the gate, let's kind of, as we go through these movies, kind of maybe pick out what we think the peak of Danny Boyle is. Rob, obviously, I would think that Slumdog is not it for you. No. Nope. Um, it may be for me and Artie. We'll, we'll kind of go with it. Um, Artie, have a reaction to that uh, question? Then? Um, I, I love Slumdog. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorites of his. It's up there with 28 Days Later, those two. Are, and you know what? I might even hang on to 28 Days Later for some nostalgic value because it was the first movie I saw by him. Slumdog Millionaire is better, I think. After Train Spotting, he does A Life Less Ordinary, which is kind of like a rom-com. I don't, has anyone seen A Life Less Ordinary? No. no. Uh, it it kind of just wasn't, wasn't widely received. And then there's The Beach. I guess right before we talk about 28 Days Later, let's, let's talk about The Beach. We've already kind of led into it a little bit. Can I do the, the peak Danny Boyle for me? Um, it's not necessarily the, the, the beach. One of the things I do respect about him is that he seemed to be at the forefront of really pushing using digital uh, film. And this is actually the first movie to ever win cinematography that shot on digital. Yep. So I just feel like that takes some balls to really go for it in that sense. Yeah, I think he was yeah. the first guy to win on Fuji film since like the 60s or something like that. Like Fuji <laughs> Digital. Yeah, yeah, everyone else used some one specific kind since then and he won on a different film. That's right. And I'm also seeing a lot of these movies like later on um, so I might not fully have the context of what he may have changed as far as his impact as a director because like he said, he's shooting these all as action movies. I've heard other people describe it that he's as, like he's shooting they kind of like have a music video feel because of all the quick cuts and everything. 
Yeah, and you know what? I think Danny Boyle kind of works with his own world. I don't view him as a guy who's trying to, like, influence. Right. You know, maybe someone would disagree with that, but I, I think that he just knows what he – he has a vision, and he goes out there and he does it. I agree. He'd be tough. He would he, – he has his own style, and it, it would be tough to imitate without basically copying him. He, yeah. he, has, he walks a thin line. So after the beach, which beach was a flop, I guess, right? Like, it's crazy. It had a cult following, but it didn't do well. It didn't right. do well, but I, I watched that for the first time last summer and didn't even know it was a Danny Boyle movie. I just, I just, I, somehow that just slipped through its filmography for me and watched it and was like, wow, that's not what I thought. I thought I was going to watch this, like, this, like, trying to be blockbuster flop. And it was right. like, no, it was kind of this cool, weird, like, I'm trying to even get my head around what really is going on here. And then movie by Danny Boyle at the credits. I'm like, holy shit, I just watched a Danny Boyle movie? Like, I didn't, like... Yeah. Then all of a sudden the video game machine made sense to me because I right. know Danny Boyle. Like, like, I always liked the beach from day one. Just I think I saw it at a, at a time where I was... Kind of had that wanderlust. Like, I was right out of college and I was like, man, that would be so cool to go to Thailand yeah. and like, just do something like that. Um, and, yeah, you know, like, going going out there, the, a bunch of young people partying on, on an island. And then, of course, it gets dark. Uh, yeah, late, it's, later it's, on in the movie. It turns quick. Yeah. But turns the quick. first hour is just a ton of fun. Well, we could sit and gush over Leo in any one of these episodes, but how many guys would have done Titanic and then just made god-awful movie choices? So <laughs> different kind of god-awful movie choices. Not like, like creative movies that were ahead of their time that flopped. Like... You know, like cheesy rom coms that just yeah, that we're just gonna just fill the box. The man in the Iron Mask sucks. That movie sucks. Yeah, and that was unfortunate. But you know, he did the beach, which is like the beach is a pretty like that's a pretty ambitious choice there with that. Yeah, Uh, you know what though, Tilda Swinton signed on for it too, and she she's a good actress. Yeah, she's a really good actress. Do you think Um, he was? So they saw something in it. He was looking to just do an indie movie to not only be like the studio heartthrob guy. I think personally, like I just look in looking back at his career, I think Leo thinks he can do anything, right. and he will if he decides to. You know, this is what I want to do. Danny Boyle pitched it on me. Like I want to do this role. Boom, I'm going to do it. I just see so many actors who have that big movie, whether it's as big as Titanic or maybe a little lower in the scale and what their careers are, and then just the next four or five choices they make are just petering out their career and then it's just whatever happened to Eric Banner you know whatever happened to Aaron Eckhart <laughs> whatever happened to not that Eric Banner or Aaron Eckhart were ever in something to the to the level of Titanic but right. you just see these guys who are just flash in the pan moments and or even guys who just win an Oscar and run and you don't even see that again yeah Leo um, he actually has two big movies before Titanic Romeo and Juliet was huge I remember being in sixth grade and everyone loved that movie um, and then the other one was uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. He's yep. young in that, and he's yeah. he's awesome. Like I'm nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, that's he's he was he Martin right out of the gate. Room, I think was uh, did, you, did you see Joaquin Phoenix's uh, speech at the Oscars? Yeah, he's like I I constantly kept getting told I wasn't getting award of uh, getting jobs because this guy Leonardo was getting the job. Yeah, right Leo's getting all the roles. It looks like Leo after Titanic did the Man in the Iron Mask. And then uh, Celebrity, which is a Woody Allen movie, and then The Beach. So he's already at the point in 1997 where I feel like he's, he's just picking projects based on, oh, I want to work with this legend. Right, business. Woody Allen. Danny so, Woody Allen. So, all right, yeah, so, okay, Man I, I, I forgot like about Jeremy Celebrity. Jeremy Irons, John Malkovich, in yeah. Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah. He's like, he's working with the titans of the film industry. 
yeah. after Titanic with other projects. And remember, he's still like 18 or 19. Yeah. Like. Interesting fact about Celebrity. I forgot about that one. Have either of you seen Celebrity? I have I, not either. I, a long time ago, but I don't remember anything so about that. Christopher, Michael Imperioli, Christopher on Sopranos, mm-hmm. had to choose between the role of Christopher or being in Celebrity. And he has, he got the breakthrough in his, he goes, I get to be in a Woody Allen movie. I get to be in a Woody Allen movie, this is awesome. I'm gonna be one of Leo's entourage. It's a Leo Woody Allen flick, like this is great. And then he, the the pilot came along for Sopranos and he does the filming with the two and they sync up until the last day and then they're finally like, you're gonna have to pick. You can't do both. So he he looked and he thought and he bet on this project and again, TV is not HBO shows are not then what they are now. Sopranos was so the first he big show. Turned down a Woody Allen movie with Leo in it that in 2020 I would think the average person probably hasn't even heard of. Yeah, you know, celebrity Leo was in that. I forgot about it when we're talking about movies in between Titanic and the Beach. And he picked Sopranos, and now imagine. Imagine. What a great choice. That's what he's known for. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah great you know, job. It's, it's just the, the Life the could have forks. been so different for that guy. Yeah, but, I mean, but you know what? It was written. People I didn't know. There's no way you can know. Oh, no. Like, yeah, I'm just going to do this one. It was written for him to be Christopher. It was written. <laughs> choice D. Computer Wiki D. When they make the bio bar. What does he say wife. there? Computer Wiki G. Dude. Yeah, he says some weird thing. Th- that guy annoys me. <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire? All right, like, okay, let's let's find it. Tw- Twenty days later, now I want I want to. I'm excited about this one, uh, Rob, because I did not realize that you saw it for the first time here. So last week we had Jay Dowski on for his first episode of American Beauty, and he uh, off the cuff, not prepared, asked me what what my most memorable movie theater experience was. Wasn't prepared for the question, and the first thing that popped into my mind was 28 days later. And Artie, I saw that with you. Yeah, I agree we with you were, with that. We headed into the movie knowing nothing other than this is a guy who wakes up in London and there's nothing going on. I didn't even know it was a zombie movie. Same. Myself. I didn't know anything and about it. Blown away. What did we see? Two more times in the theater yes. after that? Within a span of about 10 yeah. days. We yeah. saw so, it three Rob, times. What was, I mean, it's interesting to me is how that plays in 2020. We saw it when it came out in the theater. What what did you think? First thing that jumped out at me was the usage of like the stock footage of normal life, because I had watched 127 hours right before it, and that starts out that way too. Mm-hmm. And then they start out that way in 28 days later. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's a Danny Boyle thing. Um, and then, yeah, it's just like so visually cool and striking when he's just wandering around London. Yeah. And like, I, I'm just thinking, wow, what did they have to do to shut that down for one day? You know, he's going uh, right in front of Parliament uh, across that bridge, and yeah. and, you know, and there's litter the, everywhere, Piccadilly Square, and everything. Yeah, so like there have got to be thousands of people just off camera <laughs> going through a normal day of business in London. A hundred percent. So that's just 100%. like you got to figure that right. You're right. He's probably acting in front of thousands of people waiting to get to their job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah how do you film something like that? Wow, and act during that. And I was I thinking the budget that. couldn't have been that high for this movie, but this is also like the way that it looks. I, this has got to be really early, like use of digital to shoot a movie because it kind of looks like it doesn't look like that. It looks dirty. Yeah, yep. it, like yep. there's it's a lot of appropriate for the subject matter. Right. Yeah. For, for a post-apocalyptic movie. Yes, that was a choice, probably. Uh, yeah, but I agree with you. It looks dirty. A lot of scenes. Um, it looks like there's shit in the way of the camera. 
like dirt flopping up or something while you're or rain falling while you're trying to watch a scene. Eight million dollar budget on that one, about half of what Slumdog was. I've seen Twenty Visitors so many times. Like I, I, I own it. I up there with one of my top movies. In watching when I when I was doing some prep for this, in learning that this it's the same cinematographer in Twenty Eight Days Later and Slumdog, I saw so many similarities in how the two movies were shot in a good way not in like a like this is all I know how to do it's like no you know I have something that I'm going for here and it's so interesting to see a lower budget movie that was kind of like a, a little bit of a cult classic what and taking that team and bringing it up to that Oscar award-winning status and listen I mean Slumdog could have been a, it wasn't like a high budget either it wasn't right. like a, a multi it was a 15 million dollar one and and could have been a straight to dvd movie but it was it was nice to see that little evolution between you know what what is just among two of my favorite movies by one of my favorite filmmakers yeah that's a great story and why are they not getting bigger budgets after making these other movies that right? are just like you remember yeah. 20, 20 years later 28 days later and the, the beach was i guess maybe you know maybe got knocked down a yeah I, uh, I, rob i mean i think I but think you may have answered fifteen million to make Slumdog I, Billionaire. I mean, right. I think you may have answered your own question in the start of this. Since then, they yeah. heard they heard that Danny Boyle's doing a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire movie, and they're like, ah, I'm not touching that. So did either of you see Sunshine, which is kind of his next project? I've never even heard of it. I've seen Sunshine probably six or seven times. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're a big space movie guy. Aren't yep. You? I know that. Yep. And I like Cillian Murphy, and I like Danny Danny Boyle. So I watched this. So this is this is. His, this is his cash in movie, you know. With he gets twenty six million to make this one. Okay. So uh, he spent some CGI, money on that one. It's yeah, CGI. yeah. Brian Cox, he has a big podcast called um, Infinite Monkey Cage. I think it's called. Brian Cox does. Yeah, British uh, physicist. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, cool. So he's uh, the main advisor on on Sunshine, and he said there's some cool stuff in Sunshine that they just they just in space like when you move you can move really fast. You can move your hands really fast, but it looks terrible on cinema. So you have to make everyone move really slow. But realistically, you can move like super fast. It's so. He said there's so much stuff in that movie, technically and scientifically, that is very accurate. Obviously, except for at the end of it, which I'm not going to spoil. But at the end of it, it's, yeah. So the premise it, just, just the lead. idea is what we're talking about. The premise of the movie is is that a team is sent. The sun is dying. And a team of astronauts are sent to try to reignite the sun. They're nuking the center of yeah. the sun. <laughs> so you well, you, you, you thought Slumdog was contrived. Wait, <laughs> yeah. so you, you know what I mean? They literally are flying into the middle of the yes. sun with a big, you know, shield on the front of their ship. Cool concept in that though is it's the second mission. The first mission got really close, and one guy developed a god complex. Okay. And it's like, I'm going to be the last person. It's kind of like Apocalypse, a little okay. Apocalypse Now-y. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second one goes, and they actually board the first ship because it stopped right in front of the sun. And a lot of, stu- a lot of cool stuff happens. Yeah. Very, Rose, very cool movie. Rose, it turns into a thriller midway, which is really cool. You don't expect that. Rose Byrne in that one, a true babe. And are we pro-Troy here or anti-Troy? Do you mean as a Troy. movie or a film? Just, just, no, just do you like? Are you pro or are you anti? I'm not asking you to elaborate. The, the movie Troy with Brad Pitt. The movie Troy with Brad Pitt. Rose yeah. Roseburn plays Roseburn plays Brad Pitt's uh, main squeeze in that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, pro Troy. It's not perfect, 
I'm, uh, I'm not asking you to pro, do more than just pro. click a yes or no. I like, like it. Pro. Okay, I'm pro too. And I'm going to start confronting people. Rose Byrne is actually really you know? funny. She was in Bridesmaids. She was hilarious. All right, so 127 Hours is the next one, Rob. You watched that this week too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was definitely going for it with that one. It's hard. It's a hard movie to make. I don't know. Like, let's just think. Like, I, I, I saw that in the theater, and I remember going in and saying, all right, let's see if Danny Boyle can do it again here. Like, like and... It's it's powerful movie, man. It's it's a really powerful movie. I I don't have yeah, for, a for a movie set with a guy just trapped in a cave. I mean, I think they he made it compelling. Like, I think it also benefits from James Franco's performance. He's 100%. like top Franco in that movie, as as uh, you know, like charming as he's maybe uh, ever been in a movie. Yeah. And yeah, once again, dealing with a really morbid topic. Um, <laughs> The guy having the guy cut, can't help himself. Off. Yeah. Wait, and there's yeah. is this, at least is, that's based on a true story. Is this your favorite Boyle movie? Um, yeah, probably The Beach is. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I I, I want to say too, like it's easy to sit there and say like, oh my god, and then you know it's just him alone in with a with a rock pinning his arm down. You know how did how does he come up with a performance like that? That's so impressive. But like I could see most people like hamming the shit up out of that you know and just being like this like this not this like oh how did he do that but like thank god he didn't try to do that like because that's the problem it's like you know oh god here i am you know like just i'm just doing that with your face like and, uh, I, that so, could i'm sure all of you have heard this already but there there's actual footage that the guy recorded while in there and he only let two people watch it and it's james franco and danny boyle other than his and, other than his family. To your point, you can't feign that kind of situation. You need to basically be trying to act like someone who's been in that situation. To better articulate what I'm saying is, is that that's a role where in order to make it work for the audience, you have to do less and you almost have to do as little as possible. Yet you have nothing to work with. So it's like, it's not like the subtle less is more role where like no no there is no less is more it's just you and a damn rock like so it's like what like how do you dial down something where there's nothing to dial down and he really nailed it yeah the scene where he cuts his arm off is so powerful in my opinion the music's like, amazing the music's amazing horror really feel, movie quality too like you feel like you're, you're going through with him yeah and they do a really good job of making that space interesting by showing all the flashbacks from his life and you know the guy's confronted with a choice about either pretty much just letting himself die or cutting his fucking arm well, off I, I like the idea that those are not flashbacks he is oh, in a situation no they're premonitions that mm-hmm. woman he yeah. sees in those visions while he's trapped in the cave yeah. eventually it happen but they're not them. memories but they're not memories. No. He, he's, hallucinations he's, and dream sequences. So according to the guy who was actually trapped, he had those premonitions about the future of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but that he really believes that he, he had these visions of fighting at a, a basketball game. Like, that's a real thing. He really believes he, he had I bet, a, I bet a Boyle, vision of this. Boyle ate that up. Oh, said, wait yeah. a minute. Let's oh. write in that. And it's <laughs> oh, the same yeah. with the, whole, the great the line with the rock. You know, like, my entire life led up to this rock and this hole. Everything I did, every it's, choice I made, it is led written. to this with that. It's, it's right up there with, with Slumdog and, and Fiend. Danny Boyle really likes to play God. And he likes to, to have, you know, even in 28 Days Later, he hints at it that there's a... A, a, an unseen force that acts on the world. Yeah. 
I know. Destiny, I don't. Big Destiny guy. Big Destiny guy. You know, I'm not personally a, a believer in that myself, but at the same time, when he makes a movie, I really enjoy his movies. Yeah, and, and when you're analyzing or appreciating or even enjoying a movie, you don't have to believe right. in Allah right. to, uh, to understand. If I know what, this is what he's going for, right, I, I buy into it. Yeah. Steve Jobs, interesting yeah, one. Watched that one yesterday, too. Lead, lead us on that one there, Rob. I would love to hear your, your take on that one. I, there just didn't seem to be a lot of space for, for Boyle to do his. His typical boilness. He's playing in the same, same sandbox as Sorkin there. Very so few weird camera angles. Sorkin very needs few. a lot of sand in his it's sandbox. So it's like, a tough, tough guy <laughs> to play with. Yeah. First of all, that script, like a lot of Sorkin scripts, could have been a play. Right. You know, it's, it's long scenes with a lot of dialogue in chambers and it's a, you know, in rooms. People talking in rooms. You, you get so distracted by how much of an asshole they make uh, Steve Jobs out to be, mm-hmm. which I, I hear is not that uh, far from the reality. Right. But yeah, the the directing element of it didn't wasn't as prominent as it has been in other Danny Boyle movies. Yeah, he was limited with this one. He could not much you could do. He can't have crazy video game sequences in a Steve Jobs movie. <laughs> like that'd be ridiculous. But um, I also think he might have played into the heart a little bit more than Steve Jobs really was. I think Steve Jobs is more of an asshole with fewer redeeming qualities right. than Danny Boyle. That's how he brought it out. Yeah, he's like, I agree this is how that. I'm going to bring out my Danny Boyle in it. And he's pretty upfront. Is that the, the, the back story there is not factual? Like his relationship with his daughter. Like his, yeah. he took liberties and they made a they made a movie out of it. Right. His know? daughter doesn't talk to him. He doesn't acknowledge his daughter. So when you when at the end he goes up to her and it's like I named it after you. Nah, you didn't. That's not real. <laughs> this and is Danny Boyle. Right. I just watched it for the first time last week too. And it's, it, was super, it was a super interesting experience for me to watch one of my favorite filmmakers work with someone in, in the movie in, industry, like an entity in Aaron Sorkin, Sorkin, that I do not like at all. Like, oh, so, you don't like Sorkin? Oh, no, no, no. So if I, if I was on like a season of Survivor with Aaron Sorkin, he would be the first name I'm writing on the, on the card. <laughs> like he's, he's, I don't care what the alliances are. He's off the island. I can't, I can't deal with it. And you know what? At the end, they'd be like, Aaron Sorkin received one vote. It was from Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> and Kieran is vocal. Yeah, next week uh, you're but, off. Uh, but because I just, I'm big on like, I don't want to watch a movie where no one talks how anyone talks in the real world. Like, and that's Aaron Sorkin. You know, everybody's got a mouthful to shoot at the next guy who's got a mouthful ready for them who's got a mouthful and it's just like this and yeah it's like entertaining at some points and I, I do like the social network and I like Steve Jobs but he's, he's just he's a little too forceful with what he's trying to do and he's he's very you know I don't need a screenwriter who's got like a brand you know like I just want to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. watch the fucking movie alright oh, like, that's God. a great way to put it I hear what you're saying yeah, definitely uh, I think I'm over Sorkin at this point I was definitely entertained by the West Wing by a social network oh by, you were always uh, um, the other uh, Jeff Daniels uh, show on HBO, like Newsroom. Yeah, which I hate. Um, you know, Chris G is a big, a big Newsroom guy. I hate. To me, Newsroom is is peak what I dislike about Sorkin. Like that's like Sorkin running, running free, running wild. Yeah. You know, that's way too many. Like you say something to me, like you just said, and I come back with a fully formed paragraph, speaking at 100 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> no one talks that way. <laughs> but I, I definitely found experiencing Sorkin entertaining up front. But now I'm like, yeah, I don't really need more movies like that. Okay, getting back to our, uh, our, our movie at hand here. We're getting to the point now where, uh, where Jamal and Salim are, are adults. We have a scene here now where Jamal ha- has reconnected with Salim. He meets him up on the, 
up on the uh, the empty construction building. We talked about that scene. They do the little Danny Boyle shot of the two of them flying on him. Quick on dream the sequence. And it's it's you know funny to watch how how the two you know just <laughs> Salim's like I called you man I called you. He's like there was no phone call. Yeah. You know like this the two Salim's just living in his gangster world and he's just. He's interested in money and living fast and, and just kind of owning the town. And then you have the, the heart on the sleeve, Jamal, who's just you know, living a much different life. But we get to, we get to now that he gets to reconnect with adult Latika uh, Freda Pinto. Already, you have a quote here in the scene, and, and this is another one. Another one of those is kind of like, of course, she ends up with the, this old, the old gangster. From there, the beginning of the movie. Uh, yeah, just another another one that's like, bad guy. Yeah, tough, tough, tough. But Artie yeah. has, has this quote here. So I think this is the quote of the movie, and and she literally says, he says to Latika, he finally says to her, he's like, I love you, and she goes, love? Will that feed us? Like that will feed us, will it? That's that's the quote, love. That will feed us, will it? And she's known that her whole time, the whole time. Like, yeah, whatever. I don't care if we have a connection. That's not going to keep me alive. You, I, like, she even says after, you need to get out of here. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're both going to get our ass kicked. So I think that line really, like, for Jamal and Latika, sums it up. Like, you're the only one focused here on love. Like, the rest of us understand there's a real world going on, right. and we need to stay right. alive. And you're like, oh, I love you. Like, you're the movie. So you're the movie That's happening. The you're the movie happening in the real world. The real world is happening, and you're like, but I love Cinderella. I need right. to find her. Yeah. And, and in that same scene, Jamal goes to her, why do people like this show? And she responds right. to him, well, sometimes people like to escape from the real world a little mm-hmm. bit. So she's living in that real world. He's living in that fantasy world. Yeah. I love you. So what? That's yeah, she's like, that's so great. What? She goes, that's great. Now what? Yeah. Now what, what do we yeah. do with that? Like, that's great. What do we run away? That goes back to your theme on survival with her. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. She's, 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 love isn't going to do it. Like, what are we going to do? Like, can't eat love. Yeah, and because. Another parallel with Forrest Gump. Jenny's, he's kind of like confessing his love. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not your girl, yeah. Forrest. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. And wow. and her, you know, talking about the underworld swallowing up that day at the train when he let go of the hand, she was forced to deal with real life and reality. Because one, you know, we don't get to see her story there. But you only imagine those, like, as mad as those guys were with with Jamal and Salim, I'm sure they took it out on her. She was with them, and then she ended up being, you know, his, his prized entity and all that. But, yeah, she has been forced to live as, as the objective Prize in this dark underground world. It's just the cricket question is is next. And well, he tells her at the train station, "I'll be there every single day, five o'clock at the train station, ready to move on in life with you. Let's get on the train and move on in life." And she finally goes. Of course, that doesn't really. Salim takes her back. Yeah, you can't run from the from these guys. And again, he's viewing her through bars, through viewing, and then through the window her. of the car, no, and then they cut her, her through the window. Yeah, they slices the face in real time. He's got, he's delving over this this cricket question as who's who's the leading scorer in, in cricket, and he doesn't know. And our uh, our host Prem is kind of reveling in the fact that he doesn't know this time. What do we think about Prem? Already, you already kind of shot at him a little well, bit. Well, uh, before I rip on Prem, it's real... That's the name Prem. Prem. That makes me want to rip on him even more. <laughs> but real quick, the uh, the cricket stuff is kind of cool. Jamal doesn't care about escaping from reality. He cares about staying within reality. And 
he doesn't care about who wants to be a millionaire. He doesn't care about cricket. He doesn't care about anything that isn't finding Latika. Like, he's obsessed with it. He's right. singly driven. Um, I, you can't, I, who wants to be a millionaire? Like, just say millionaire. millionaire. Like, oh, you can't no, coach that. You see, I loved that, though. I hate like, that. That's, that's, but do you don't think that's a choice? It, it, it sounds like he has like a very mild accent with everything he says. And then he's like, who wants to be a millionaire computer? Kiki, why, why? Like, and then yeah, they give the answer. Like, like, just, you speak English all the time. And then you're like, Kiki, is, computer. Like, that is the Bollywood end of things. And I have so one it's nitpick. Like, it's, it's, it's the mimic of American culture in India. And I, he, by the way, he's such a dick to him at the beginning. He's like, you're a Chaiwala. You're a loser, basically. Like, Bro, like, come on. You're, he's a guest on the national television. You're going to rip on him? Like, okay, so, that's just not tasteful. Okay, so I, what, I, what I loved about that is, is that that's that Regis filled in role. Is yeah. that you have this, like, campy, schlocky, like, cheesy jokes. Yeah. Oh, yes, no, yes, no. Is that your final answer? <laughs> Make whatever like, joke, just, whatever joke. The crowd's just like, yeah, like, they're yeah. just... Like it's that daytime TV humor. Yeah. All right, like that's all right. like that's the role. Like would, like he's not going up there like you know, Louis C.K. and really like dropping like <laughs> intense well, jokes. Well, this is, Maybe I should have picked Chappelle. I'm getting, I was say, we're getting really <laughs> close here to what my time machine recast is. Okay, me too. Well, me I, too. I, I think we God, all. I wonder, if we, I wonder if we have the same one. As much as I love him, I recast him too. But we'll we'll you yeah we, okay. we we do our time machine recast. You take any part of the movie and pick anyone. To right. replace him with so so, unfortunately, our, our friend is is there. so he's played by Anil Kapoor, and Anil Kapoor plays the uh, the Jack Bauer role in Twenty Four India. Stop. So so in 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 Bollywood and in India, they do a lot of mimicking right. U.S. So he plays Jack Bauer in that in that role. There, he's only, he's been in few U.S. credits, and I do want to reference too is uh, uh, Irfan Khan plays. The police investigator who interrogates just passed. I love him, man. He's awesome. He's in Jurassic World. Jurassic World. He's the he's the Hammond role, basically. Oh man, he's so good. good. And and I really love him in this too. He's such a good. He's a dick, but he's likable. And when he says to Jamal, he's like, "Let's say your story is somehow very oddly plausible." Like I love that. He's using his brain. He's like, "This is plausible," and that adds to the audience. Suspending disbelief and being engaged in the movie is it's it's not plausible, but it's plausible, and he's in the movie saying this is plausible. Yeah, I guess it's plausible, but it's know, unlikely. I, you're not but lying because you're you're yeah. too big of a tool. To you're, lie. Too <laughs> you're, too yeah, you're too truthful. You're too truthful. He's just like I, I, I liars all the time. I love when he sends the fat guy who interrogated him at the beginning of the movie to go get them tea. Because then he becomes the Chaiwala for Jamal. Now we get to the end of the, the, the flashbacks. Because now we have the final question, the cricket question he has to answer. And he goes to the bathroom on break. And he meets our Prem character in the bathroom. And Prem's talking him up. You, you're going to do it. Oh, you're going to do it. I'm the only one who's come from rag to ridges. I feel good about you. You're going to do it. This is my quote now. The reason that I love this quote so much is that it's something the first time you watch the movie, it's very face value and it's very okay. You know, this is, he's trying to mislead him as that. But if you look at the wording of the quote in this scene, he is intentionally trying to throw this guy off and he does it with the theme and the message of the movie. And he thinks that he's lying to him 
And by lying to him, he's fulfilling the prophecy of the movie. So here's the quote. And, and I'll elaborate from there. So the quote is, and this is a good little urinal talk between the two of them. Who, who, who doesn't love a good urinal talk? In <laughs> well, he's in a stall. Yeah. He's at the urinal. <laughs> You're on the edge, kid. Maybe it's written, my friend. I just get some kind of karmic feeling. You're going to win this. Trust me, Jamal. You're going to win. Now, he then steams up the mirror, burns his hands on the, on the sink and steams up the mirror and gives him the wrong answer on the mirror. Jamal's able to answer the question right, basically on a poker read, that he, he senses the disingenuine nature of this man, and he, he tells on the lie. So I get that he uses basically his life experience of dealing with everything from bullshit to, you know, the worst situations you could possibly imagine. And he, he just, his subconscious, his gut feeling is, this guy's full of shit. Yeah. This isn't, this guy's not. That didn't sound this real. Isn't love. Like this this is, guy's not following right. a, a path. This guy's, just, this guy's just a rich loser who doesn't want to share the fame with anyone else. Yeah. You know, maybe it's written, my friend. I just get some kind of karmic feeling. You're going to win. And if he doesn't give him the wrong answer, he's going to get that wrong. Right, right. He's going to get that question wrong. Really, it's and a 50, it's going to be over. Chance of so by right. lying to him, he helped him fulfill his prophecy, yep. and it was written because he wrote it on the mirror. So right. is this, as far as uh, the chronological, like, is this after uh, Jamal's been interrogated? No, This before. is the final thing before, so right after, Jamal will get the question right, and, and that's when they're going in, and he's like, uh, a D, Jack Cobbs. Oh, are you sure it's not, it's not... C, Ricky Fowler. Which is so sketchy. That's so sketchy. Or it could be D. Ricky Fowler. (laughs) Ricky whatever. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. uh, I know golf as well as I know cricket. uh, Oklahoma State (laughs) My cricket and my golf games are are Ricky Ponting. Ricky Ponting. Ricky Ponting. Well, we know it's not Ricky Fowler. Uh, (laughs) He gets it right. And then he does the psychotic, unhinged Indian dance. He gets up and dances along like Pennywise. Jamal? No, the, the host, Prem. Oh, right, right. Like he's into he, it. He, it's almost like a Pennywise dance. Like, ha, 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 ha. Like, and just, just this fake, disingenuous, almost manic dance along with the... And, and you just get this like... Holy, and then, then he's bagged and sent to the police. This guy's cheating. I fed him the answer. He's wrong. And the guy's like, you fed him the answer? What? He's like, I do whatever I want. And then like... My show, I do whatever I want. Show, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're in the final, the final stretch run of this movie here. We get... Uh, the police says, listen, man, you know, I, I've had you here for hours. I'm, I'm tired. You, 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 you're good. You know, I'm going to deal with all these murders and rapists and bike stealers that I have in the room. And you're off to... Uh, and all Jamal cares about is where is she? He's like, yeah. can you find her? No. Do you have a number I can call? Meanwhile, back in the uh, back in the lair of the underground, we have Salim is getting his awakening, and he's now going to save Ladika and gives him the keys to the car and the cell phone. Goes off, takes a little bath and dollar bills. <laughs> you mentioned already that his last words are the same last words. Yeah, uh, God is good. I believe yeah, God is, God is good. That's Gandhi's last words. And in the in the bathtub, you see all the bills with Gandhi's face on it that we are we are shown earlier in the movie when the question is who's a, who's the who's on the the the, bill, the rupee bill right, and we see Gandhi there too. So I guess that that's he, he finds peace within his tortuous path of life. He, his last heroic act. Yeah, he feels he redeemed his whole life. Is there any way he could have gotten out of that without 
certain death. I feel like if he didn't spend 20 minutes filling a bathtub with money, he might have been able to get out of there with Latika. <laughs> so I agree with you, Rob. Hey, man. It's <laughs> but all I'm about, looking past that. It's all about how you go out, man. You want to go out on, on fire. Just driven Latika to the... Yeah, like, a, lot of, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of movie symbolism in yeah. there. You know, he probably was really frustrated. He filled the bath with money, then had to get in it. So he's probably like oh, digging man. through the dollars, trying to get his feet in. It's like falling over. He's like, they're going to be in here any second to shoot me. Got to get this all looking nice. Okay. So the phone a friend. Um, did they let it ring that long? Did, we, did, it, did, did it have to ring that many times? You know, like the her sprint to the... I mean, That's just the movie shit. Little, That's movie little, shit. A little, a little yeah. movie, too much movie. Two to... Two to five rings too many. Like, I, I agree It was a lot of rings. So, like, at, le- at least they gave a chance. It wasn't like a rank three times. Like, all right, sorry, buddy. There's you no voice your, you mail set up, obviously. Every, there, every there's ring, a good there. every Where's phone the voice ring mail? in a movie is so long. It, yeah. It's like ten rings to build tension. It's Yeah, it's one of those things. Phone but rings are I, just not realistic. In there movies. was a great production moment in that, though. And I mean, like, literally the producers on screen. Where where they're like they're doing like the the hand cut to the host like sorry they're not gonna answer they're not gonna answer and he's like ah shit and they're almost excited they're like no he's not getting any help he's gonna have to do it himself and then and then the host like oh looks like you're on your own and then just as they're about to cut it off she's like hello and the producers are like thumbs up that was even better That's and they, great. they get more like, excited right. yeah, they're the like this is great either way Show producer. Yeah, that's, Show that's producer. Like fun, like little inside baseball there. Yeah, so <laughs> she's a little too amused to not know the answer. You know, I don't know. I've never known. You well, know, the, like, the, the, my, I, the I, beauty I, of this is he, he's like, I have to read you this question. So he's like, blah, 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 blah. These are the questions. He's like, where are you? Like he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't care about the question. He said, like, "Where are you? This is the reason I'm on the show. I Thank want to God talk she to you." Answer his question. She would have been killed instantly. You know? She's <laughs> like, "I don't know." He's like, "Yeah, I don't either." Uh, here are this my coordinates. Great. You know, and the guy wants just like, "Get there, get there." Yeah, yeah. They can triangulate <laughs> positions <laughs> in uh, Mumbai. Hey, the guy rules she the ghetto. She's gonna be pretty concerned about money the entire movie, and then doesn't care that she doesn't know the answer. I feel. So, she, I feel she always wanted Jamal, but never saw the path. Like, when she wanted and loved Jamal, but Salim's there with a gun going, get out of here. The path is not okay. with Jamal. And, and her entire life, she's controlled and empowered by people whose only power relies on the fact that they're rich and that they're all about money. So all that she's known since that she didn't make that train at age eight and age nine is money. And these right. people own her. She is their possession. Right. And what are we going to do? Now she's finally free. She's finally liberated herself from that. And, and Salim freed her, which is a symbolism, yep. that he's the one who was oppressing her. He's the one who did let go of her hand and made her fall into this life. Okay. And then he's the one who kicked Jamal out and said, I'm keeping you, and brought her to this other douchey. She's free to now focus. So now she's on, like me. With him. Yeah, she could do her. And... I'm going to do me right now. There's, like, there's happy moments and fun moments and exciting moments in movies. But, like, just him, like, letting him know the question's right, like, and the audience exclaiming. Like, it's, talk about, they kind of, like, doubled down with greatness there. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, yeah, like, the guy gets to win, but he also gets to, like, literally win. You know, you get yeah. to see, like, the, instead of it turning red, and, it turns green. And how and, about this? He, min- he wins 20 million rupees, and he goes straight to the train station and sits there on the, on the, on the ground. He's like, this is where I want to be. Like, I yeah. do respect that, that he actually wins the money, because it would have been such a movie thing for him to just, like, say, I don't care, and get up and walk out. Great and point. Yep. Great point. No, they're right. set. That's, that's they're set. Point. His dream of them as a kid 
of him becoming the singer and living here. And she goes, well, why can't we live here? She has a specific spot in her dream that she wants to live. Now they have 20 million rupees, which is, you know, like five, seven hundred dollars in America. <laughs> they can at least buy a nice apartment for That's a month. That's the beauty of this podcast. You can they make can... a joke in hour one, let an hour pass, and then make the same joke in hour yeah, three. Yeah, they, so they, they can get a security deposit down on a nice apartment in, you know, like Garden City. Um, Rob, that's, that is like a, a real good point though because like like Johnny Filmmaker is like, oh, I'm not going to let him win. Like it would be too like easy to let him win. Right. We're going to have him lose. Like, and then like the standing boy saying like, no, 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 no. The motherfucker's going to win. He's going to find a guess and he's going to get it right. Pay the man his money. Yeah. 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 Just simple, simple question, yes or no. The, the ending credits, the Jai Ho ending credits. Did you watch them or did you shut the movie off? I shut it off. Um, my thing on that is, how does it that win for best song if it's not even in the freaking movie? Closing credits. Come on. Everything I do, I do it for you. By Brian Adams is in the closing credits. All of right. Robin Hood. Okay. Let's you know. Come okay. On. Fine. Did you watch the Jai Ho already? Did you, or did you? I did, and it is impressive how bad Dev Patel is at doing the most simple dance moves. Watch. Rewatch, Folks, if we ever start a Patreon, we're going to have Artie do the Jai Ho dance to see if he does <laughs> rewatch, re, Real quick, re, rewatch that scene, paying attention to how they're editing it so that you can't see that, horrible dancer, that but, Dev Patel and the, the main Latica are, are just, they're not dancers. That's the beauty they're of not it. Dancers. That's the beauty of it, though, is that, you I know, you have to cast. You have to cast. Yeah, it is, because it's, it's dude. Life it's totally is unnecessary. It's a yeah, credit. Dancing, cares? Because dancing's not dancing in life is not about being good at dancing. The only people good at being dancing are the people in movies and TV shows. Oh, you don't have to tell me that. I'm the guy who has twelve <laughs> beers and is the best dancer at the wedding. Like, says I would me. rather. I would rather like shitty dancers try to dance like they're at a wedding. Like that's more real to me. Than, that's than, fine, like, but I'm not going to give anything to the credits. It's it, stupid. It's borderline insulting. Random dance scenes to end, to end movies. Yeah, I gotta go with the forty year old virgin. With the oh, age, the, the age, age of, of Aquarius. Aquarius. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I'm going to go with The World's End. The Backstreet Boys in Heaven. Uh, this is the end. Is, is, this uh, is the uh, end. And that's a, that might be a winner, too, though. That's, that's, and they actually have the Backstreet Boys. The Backstreet Boys, Boys like, are there. They're dead, too, yeah, in Heaven. Yeah, like, <laughs> like they old, died. Old Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they, 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 they were it. saved. Yeah, they, they were saved. They were saved. Oh, God. And now, I will say, too, though, Rob, like, I think that one of the reasons why I think so fondly of the, the, the exit credits and the Jio and the closing credits is, is that I was preparing myself when I first saw this movie for the Oscar performance that I saw at the Oscars and was so relieved that it wasn't in the actual movie. Like, as I'm watching, like, halfway in, I'm like, they're not going to start breakout and dancing and start dancing. Not mid-movie, that'd mid-movie, be movie, devastating. Are they? Like, good yeah. Lord, it would be devastating, yeah. right? Devastating. Yeah. So then, like, when the movie ended and they're like, oh, Jaiho's in the credits. Oh, oh thank God. There's no oh, place for Jai Ho in, the, in this movie. Right. That being said, no. I, I, <laughs> there is not. I love it. I love it and watch it every time. To, to, the, to the end. I do. I'll tell you the last, I watched it two times in the last week. I watched the credits both times, but I literally stare at Dev Patel and I'm like, you literally just have to, if you can't see me, you just do a lasso above your head like a normal dance and he's like, like he doesn't has any coordination whatsoever. And listen, I don't want to like sit here and like really sound obnoxious analyzing the outside credits here though. But I just think it's kind of like I like how they're still making choices in the in the ending credits where like they had the adult 
Jamal and Latika dancing, and they have the little kid oh, Latika, oh, and, and they right. don't have the teenage ones dancing. So like they they have the youngest and the oldest dancing, but they don't have the teenage ones. And they're dancing. not together. I just like that they left the middle one out because that's when they were kind of it weird. not. It wouldn't make sense to the movie, and I, I like that that they're still making. Sure. So fair. we're feel here. Good, feel good song. It's a feel good ending to the movie. So it, it works. We got through it. We got through it. Rob, I don't know if we. Uh, I don't know if we swayed you at all with any of this. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, I feel I, a little bit better about the movie now, but I don't know if I don't yeah. know if it's going to be a rewatcher. Yeah. Hey. I mean, and listen, I don't. Uh, I'm sure that you know, and there, and there has been episodes that we've done where we, the three of us, or four of us, or two of us, have gushed on it, and like I've had people message me and say, I really appreciate how enthusiastic you guys are about that movie. I just don't agree. You know, like that, just like, I just don't like that movie. You know, and it's happened with different movies. Like, it's like, it's great. Like, I, I you have guys had good insight. Like, it's it's fun. Like, like I, I like that you guys liked it, but I watch it and I just don't see the same thing. And like, as you say, Artie, that's the beauty that's of it. The right? beauty of it. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, yeah. It's obnoxious to keep saying. Well, I don't think we've left any rock unturned No, in this one. No, we haven't. We're going to do our BPC Awards now, and uh, we're going to go through. But right before we do that, we did mention the Sub-50 challenge that we've done. And Rob Bobcat has his three Sub-50 movies, and he is going to divulge them to us right now. Take her away, Bobby. Okay, so these are all these are all going to be comedies, which I know is like kind of a cop-out. Hey, man, we gave you the parameters. Whatever you do from there is... is within the rules. For example, like pretty much every Adam Sandler movie is under 50% uh, somehow. But uh, I'm not going to pick any of those because that's just too easy. So the my three under 50% are The Breakup. Go, we'll go one by one. Yeah. Right, so you start with The Breakup. We'll talk a little bit about it. So Breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. Okay. Oh, I hate that movie. I also hate that movie. Uh, I saw it in the theater. Because that comes... For Vince Vaughn right after Wedding Crashers, which is kind of like apex Vince Vaughn. So this is still like um, Vince Vaughn at his peak Vince Vaughn-ness. Just the fast talking. It's got a lot of little funny lines in the movie. John Favreau is actually hilarious in the movie as his uh, Southside uh, buddy. And there's just, I mean, I enjoy a lot of comedies that are not like perfect and just have kind of a, you know, five, six, seven funny bits in them. And even if the movie is not like comprehensively amazing. Yeah. Um, so, but I like, do like Favreau in that movie. And I love Favreau in that type of role. Like him in I Love You Man is like amazing. Right. I have but never it, seen anything that John Favreau is in that I don't like. I love John Favreau. I'm yeah, a huge yeah. fan. It, in the breakup, he's basically trying to make Vince Vaughn feel better because he just got dumped. He just got asked to leave the house. And Favreau's like, okay, what you need to do, you need to take some time. And then we need to go get this guy. And then Swan's like, I don't want anything to happen to the guy. He's like, right. Me neither. I don't want anything to happen to the guy. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. I don't want anything to happen to him. He's like, no, nothing's going to happen to him. I, <laughs> you know, That's why don't you go home tonight? Make a couple calls around midnight. I just remember over. feeling really sad after I watched that movie. Yeah, it was. Like, I, it's hard. When movies are darker than they are funny, I have a hard time liking them. It's hard. It's a. Uh, Unorthodox ending because they yeah, don't. They, they, they made a choice. They don't get together. Yeah. They don't get back together. No. Um, they seem. They both seem kind of fine with going on with their life. You're rooting for them to get back together because you know it's Jennifer Aniston's. It's two two movie stars. I, I did not root for them to get back together. I I just thought it was 
Very uh, negative and dark. And I also they, love they're bickering. Cole Hauser in the movie, who's the real quiet From redhead in Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. And also Dazed and Confused is the other thing I was thinking of. <laughs> Cole Hauser plays and like a total creep in this movie. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> This guy's hysterical. John yeah. Michael Higgins, yeah. he's so funny. So it's got a lot of really funny individual performances. Um, so I can I can watch that over and over again. Awesome. Number two. Number two, um, Due Date with... Wow, look at that. I've been pushing this movie on Kieran for like probably a full year now. Wow, with Robert is, Downey Jr. On my list. And, and Zach Galifianakis. It's pretty much an hour and a half of just these two guys both firing at each other. Zach Galifianakis is... He kind of has the vibe that he had in The Breakup where he's just such the a hangover. weirdo. Oh, sorry, yeah, in The Hangover where he's just such a weirdo. Um, and yeah, like they have a really unfortunate incident in an airport and... Robert Downey Jr. kind of like gets put on a terrorist watch list and loses all of his possessions, <laughs> and then and then lo and behold, Zach Galifianakis is driving cross country, and that's where Downey Jr. needs to go, and he offers him a ride, and as much as he doesn't want to get in with him, he does, and they just have a road trip of epic proportions. And, and Downey Jr. can carry the comedy on it. It's he's, he's great. He's uh, like it's so good. Todd yeah. Phillips too. It's Todd oh, Phillips. Todd Phillips is, is a genius. Um, oh but, I love but, Todd Phillips. The dynamic between Zach Galifianakis and uh, Robert Downey Jr. is all time. All time with comedy. Like, I leave that movie on every time it's on. Wow. 100% of the time. I I text you all the time. Like, I'm watching Due Date. I'm watching Due Date. And number three. Number three is uh, Along Came Polly. Along Came 26%. Yeah, I didn't like that movie. Okay, so (laughs) you have uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in hilarious performance. The back sweat is the, uh, is the scene that I remember now when they're playing pickup yeah. basketball, yeah. right? He plans to play against the guy, shirts for skins, and the guy has a hairy chest yeah. and hairy back, <laughs> right. yeah. and he's sweating. Um, Alec Baldwin's hilarious in it. He, uh, <clears throat> he like, comes up to Ben Stiller in, uh, in, a, in a bathroom at a urinal, another good urinal talk, um, and Stiller's wife has just, like, left him or cheated on him at, on their honeymoon, and Baldwin is like trying to console him, but he comes up to him and says, "Sorry about your wife. I knew she was a slut the minute I met her." <laughs> like as Baldwin. if that's somehow consoling. Baldwin's is, Baldwin's comedic abilities are underrated too. Oh. He can he can mix that into any. He's comedic in The Departed, oh, which is a dramatic yeah. role. Yeah. Like it's amazing. Just, uh, a note on Ben Stiller. I don't want to go well, too too much in this though. Like, Kind of a little bit of a weird career, no? Like he never was like that leading, like carry the comedy guy. His best roles, he's either the villain or a supporting actor or the director. I mean, Meet the Parents. He's okay. I yeah, guess there, he's, there's his lead. That, yeah. That's his big lead. And that's a, and yeah, that's he's kind of seen as the villain by Robert De Niro in that movie. So he's kind of like a, a, often playing a misunderstood. It's something guy. about Mary, right? Because yeah. like if you, if Robert De Niro and him had a five minute conversation, the movie wouldn't happen. <laughs> he'd be like, well, listen, my name's Gaylord. It's not... Right. It's not... And he'd be like, oh, this guy is actually a good guy. Yeah, yeah like, I, I can't... Oh, you're right. For a guy that had a couple peak comedies in, in Meet the Parents and uh, Something Got Married, he never had that phase of his career where he just rattled off movies like Adam Sandler, like Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. He had Heavyweights, which was in mid-90s, like, but again, before that's anyone not, came that's not out. like a Ben Stiller movie. Are you like, sure? I, you think he's like the lead bill in that? Is he? I think he wrote that. I think he. I think he wrote it. Oh, he may. Oh, he may have wrote. He may have um, wrote it. I think he wrote it. I think I he's think uh, he's unnoticed as a writer director, mm-hmm. and I've heard that as a uh, director, he's 
very meticulous. Um, so Heavyweights, 1995. And this is a movie that, like, I've never seen. But everyone I know that's seen it is like, you have to see Heavyweights. It's yeah, no, his, his role in Heavyweights is awesome. And then he kind of, like, almost reprises it in Dodgeball. And Judd Apatow wrote that. Oh, did he? Yeah. And, and Stephen Brill, and Stephen Brill directed it. I didn't realize that it. was a Judd Apatow. A I didn't either, actually, until I just Googled it right now. So, so yeah. Those great are, those choices, are man. Great choices. They'll fit right in. And, uh, and, and we're going to take those three, along with the 21 we've talked about already, and when this episode airs, starting that following week, we're going to do a little Twitter poll, and we're going to throw them out there. We're going to do a little, like, World Cup-style tournament. And the first round, second round, move on, and the winner of it will get its own episode. And if it's the movie you chose, let's say Due Date Wins, you'll rejoin us with a, with a third guest of... of uh, of your choice, and we will have, give it a full episode. It will get a beginning Amazing. to end BPC episode. Whoever the who wins, twenty four choices. The world votes, and uh, we'll we'll figure it out from there. So, excellent, love it. BPC awards. Let's uh, let's get into this MVP here. Rob, you want to go first? Yeah, this is pretty. You know, this is pretty easy choice. It's just Death Patel. I know that that's like you know, he's the star of the movie, so of course that's what I'm going to say. But I'm just going to go with him. Uh, the MVP for me is child acting. He really gets a lot out of these. Like, this is the best child acting performance I've seen in a movie, you know, ever. Yeah, Haley, Haley Joel Osment's probably second, but he's what, five, Again, six, seven? Again, that's one specific but he five actor. Year, and what is he, five years older in one specific actor? Yeah, in, in one specific movie in a yeah. very structured environment with very Nominated limited. Right, and very, very limited. Um, in that movie, he's reserved. Yeah. So he's hiding his emotions. He's not revealing them. Now, with my MVP, I kind of went with the conglomerate also. I went with the three guys who play Salim. I think okay. that his the entity of Salim in this movie is what makes this a great movie. Without that character, this is a schlocky love story that doesn't quite land on the intellectual level that I would be looking for. And the three actors including the awkward teenager in the middle, and I think that there was, that there was a little bit of a decision that they made there to, to do that. I just think, I love the little kid who did it, and that's so that we kind of have like a bit of a merged, a, a merged award. But I love those three actors, and I thought their, their performance together morphed into a, an MVP role, and I think that that influences Moonlight a little later on, where they kind of tell a, a similar story. It, it, no, I'm sorry, they don't tell a similar story, but they tell the story in a similar style with the three actors at the point of the life. So there's a little bit of influence there, too. So we went, we went three different areas there, and I like all the, all the answers. I would say that the nuts and bolts answer is probably Deb Patel at the end of the day, with as far as, like, if anyone was going to get nominated for an Oscar, that's probably it there. So with the it, it this is what I was going to say. So with the it as it is written part, um, Salim's decisions are the, a, lot, a lot of Salim's decisions... No are writing it for Latika and Jamal. He's the writer. Yep, that's right. right? And, and, and without him protecting Jamal, it's like the, the little kid when he sees him and he gives him the Benjamin Franklin, the little blind kid, he gives him the Benjamin Franklin bill. This could have been you. The only difference between me and you is you were lucky. It's like, well, he was a little more unlucky. He had, you know, he had an older brother who, who made questionable decisions in it, but he had... True, but I like his point of view. His yeah. point of view is I was lucky. That speaks. LVPs... Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on yours because you're. I feel like you have a little more juiciness to what you want to go after here. Already want to kick, kick, kick us off with the. I mean, Maman is the LVP. 
the guy fucking travels around picking up abandoned children <laughs> who lost their parents and selling them into slavery. Like, this is the worst person imaginable. Yeah, the, the character. I can't even... The character you know, like the, it just You're just the character itself. You didn't... You're too big of a heel? Or, I mean, you gotta have a little bit of a... You gotta have stakes. If there's no real venom in the movie, like, you know, it's... No. Oh, yeah. Of course he has. Yes, he is... He is the worst character imaginable in any movie universe and they put him into this one he is the he's a child slaver who's picking up children and seducing them with coca-cola and then you're saying you don't like that there's no i don't like that (laughs) there was no value we're not making it personal rob (laughs) so you saw no value you saw the least amount of value in that in that i just think he's the lvp yeah so my lvp is uh prem both from the jerk-off actor that played him in that <laughs> performance. And Prem's kind of a douche, too, giving, giving the kid the wrong answer. Pretty simple one for me. Yeah, yeah he's very douchey. Yeah, my, uh, that's, you know, that, I, I see it there. I, I happen to love him. I, I liked his campiness. I thought, I thought if you can make campy work in a, in a movie that I consider a, a, a top dog movie, I, I like it. You know, if, you told, my, if you told me going in, like, think about this guy as the Indian Regis Philbin, then I probably would have enjoyed him a bit more. Right, okay. So my LVP is the whole, like, the whole squad that's in that telemarketing segment of the movie. Like, the whole, like, what, like, they're trying to get on, I, I, I didn't get anything, anyone, what anyone was trying to do there in that one. It, it, it seemed like, It was very like, convoluted. It seemed like a total way to just get him reconnected with Jamal because he has access to this unlimited phone book. And then, like, I didn't like his boss, go watch the computer for me. That whole... Thing. Even the question itself, with the, the the streets in London and the whole that whole section of the movie to me is just the least valuable part of the whole movie. It seemed it seemed plot divisive. It just seemed just very weak, and it was an exposition piece that I just didn't need. So I'm given that whole little section of the movie, that whole squad that's that he's delivering tea to. They're all the LVPs. Give them give them I trophies. Can get behind that. Honorable mention awards. Honorable mention awards. So when we're throwing trophies to yeah. participation. I had awards, the, yeah. the child version of uh, Jamal. So okay, give him the old trophy. Already went uh, MVP. Well, I went particip. No, I went yeah child yeah, acting yeah. in general. So the participation trophy for me is um, the older Salim. He redeems himself, and he's trying. You know, he's he's trying. He doesn't know what's right and wrong. He mostly makes the wrong decisions. And when he finally makes the right decision at the end, it's his last decision. So, you know what? Cool. Participation trophy Love award. It. You're not an MVP. You didn't win. But you tried. I'm going uh, Ifran Khan, the police investigator. R.I.P. Give him a little trophy. Uh, he was nice, my runner-up. He kept the nice little. Uh, he kept. He kept the nice little side story going, and yeah. made, and made it made him out. I like that he wasn't just a generic interrogator who had no thoughts or feelings on his own. So we're going to do the uh, time machine recast. Rob is going to go first, and then Rob is going to say goodbye, and and we're going to uh, bid you farewell. We thank you for for joining us for it. We appreciate you, you hanging yeah, in to, for the, yeah, we got to do this. the old yeah, deep man. dive, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it's always a, it's always a marathon. I thought it would be much more hostile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, we get in and we're, we're just drinking beers and having a good time. It's nice to, it's, it's tough to really go at each other's throats, but before we have you do the, your pick on the time machine, we guess I want you to plug your podcast again. Yeah. Thursday night sales pod. Yeah. So the Thursday night sales podcast tagline is just a little something to take the edge off. So if you want uh, a few laughs and you're at least uh, interested in 
sales and business, you definitely don't have to be in the field. This is not a sales tips podcast. I'm not a guru. We're just having a good time. But uh, at TN Sales Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and et cetera. But, yeah, I haven't heard it yet, but I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Ron's right, very active on Instagram. Follow him on Instagram. He's very funny on Instagram. He's got good. Uh, I love your little segments to promote the pods too. You know, nice yeah. little uh, nice little skits going on. That's just cool. Okay. So, uh, the, before we say farewell to you, Rob, give us your time machine recast here. Take anyone from any point of their career, plug them into this movie. It would make sense the most. What do you got? Okay, so this actually doesn't make sense, but I just think it would be funny to do okay. um, <laughs> because the act. The obviously all the actors are Indian. This person. Is an American of Indian descent, so he would stick out like a sore okay. thumb. I thought going. for Prem, if you're going to have a ridiculous host anyway, just put Aziz Ansari in it. <laughs> you, want, you want a young Aziz Ansari <laughs> that's yeah. and hosting who wants to be there? I want a like a Parks, Parks and Rec Aziz Ansari. He would just have so much. That'd fun. be good. That'd be good. <laughs> who wants to be millionaire? You'd be totally into it. Uh, Great job, that's Rob. Good. Thanks again, man. Any closing words? Any final answers you want to divulge on us here? <laughs> just want to tell you all I love you very much, and uh, it's okay to disagree with the Best Picture winner. This is still in the Ironwall category. Boom! Oh wow! All right, I think. But I, res- I, I, but I think respect that we, 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 the, what your education on Danny Boyle and uh, that I got today. Awesome. And, uh, awesome. Yeah. All right, computer G A Lak Akija. All right, so me and Artie B here are going to take us home with this. Artie B, your time machine recast. Any actor, any point of his career, doesn't have to make sense within the time frame of this movie. All right. Give it to us here. Mine are easy. Amitabh Bachchan, Bachchan, the celebrity at the beginning. Okay. I think you should recast him with David Hasselhoff. (laughs) And I think he should run off the helicopter like he's on Baywatch. I think that'd be amazing. I think that'd be so good. Anyway, um... My second recap. Oh, you got a couple here. Got- now, I, I don't know. Are the Indian the people of India like? Are they are they loving on David Hasselhoff? Is he just a worldwide star? I know he's a big star in Europe. But I, I think David Hasselhoff is a worldwide celebrity. I think he's bigger in Europe than he is in America. He's not big yeah. in America at all. Is he big in Asia? Is the question? Because India. Uh, Asia. you know, I didn't think about that <laughs> when I did the recast. But hey, um, maybe he hops off the plane. He might be easier to get to to get the autograph if no one knows who he is. You know. I, I picture him running off the helicopter like he's like David Hasselhoff. Okay, without a shirt on. Well, anyway. Right, what, so, what else do you have here? So um, I would recast older Salim okay. with Bruno Mars. I thought he kind of looked like Bruno Mars, too. I thought yeah. that, too. He has that Bruno Mars look to him. Yeah, don't believe, don't believe me, just watch. Like, he's very much Bruno Mars. And then the other one I would recast is Prem. Okay. Steve Harvey. Okay. I think Steve Harvey should host this, and it Steve would Harvey be. Steve Harvey has now has now just altered his life and and has flown to India. Well, he already hosts Family Feud. That'd be way funnier than this dick with this pretentious accent. So you have definitely made this movie much more illogical here with this by flying an American. Listen, my point of view with recasting these roles is how funny can I make this? <laughs> Imagine David Hasselhoff was the answer to the first question. <laughs> he dumped in shit to get an autograph from David Hasselhoff. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, and I, I can't help but think someone was offended by this. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with my recast here. So I recast the Prem role, too. That seems to be the popular recast one. Why not the host of, of the <laughs> I did like him. I did like him. I thought he was at this point. But 
So I went with a, 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 uh, a, an Oscar award-winning actor who a little later in his career. I went with Omar Sharif, uh, star of Lawrence Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. Might be a little over his pay grade, but I'm thinking like an old Omar Sharif. And I'm having to really like dig into this role and yeah, who wants to be a millionaire host. You're, you're really turning this into like a film, like almost like well, an yeah, epic. Almost like a, a, a movie that won Best Picture, yeah. I mean, well, you're trying to take it a level higher and make it yeah. like an epic. Well, that's, you know, we, we want to recast and prove here, epic. not just to stick David Hasselhoff in. We have to work as a group in, in text messaging. and, and Yeah, our text messaging group is not, it's not the clearest. Yeah. It doesn't thing. help they get bombarded with a lot of text messages. But I like the ambiguity to MVP. Like, you picked, yeah. you picked... Uh, for Broadway Melody, you picked what the opening scene? Yeah, there. Like you don't have to pick an actor, an right. MVP. It could be an idea. Right. Yeah, it could be a like group. MVP was child actor. Right. Yeah. So we get we have some flexibility with it. We're not to, we're not uh, handing a statue to a specific person. I've also I've also a second one I had too is like I would like to the 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 muscle for the gangster who got the. Who got the agent thrown in his face and he yeah. had the face burns? Yeah, chloroform. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to use Star of MacGruber and former WWE World Champion, the great Kali, in that role. It's a seven footer, oh, okay. uh, a star in Bollywood. He's going to hop in there and do that. Might be a little too big, you know, it's seven plus feet might be a little rough for that role. I don't know if he'd fit in that van that they rode around in, but. Yeah, that's, that's a, another. Uh, the the guy they had was already fucking big. He was like six yeah, nine, six ten. Too, he was so. huge. Total pushover. Yeah. We'll have to, you know, hey, listen, man, we're going to do this, and then, sure enough, Steve Harvey's going to be hosting shows in India next month anyway. So, like, let's, right? Uh, right. Scene of the movie, man. What did, uh, what, what did you choose? For Scene of the movie for me is when the three, when they go back to save Latika as the middle, the middle age, like the teenager, mm-hmm. and, and Maman and the, the giant muscle uh-huh. and the weird yeah. alchemist. Yep. The three of them yeah, walk the, the, in. The, he's credited as the old wise villager. It's like the old wise well, he's villager. Old he's like these child torturer. Yeah, what the old wise <laughs> Maybe villager. not wise, but I think maybe he's just like the old villager. <laughs> All right. like well, he's got the weird mustache. <laughs> so um, when the three of them are blocking the doorway and, the, and Jamal, Latika, and Salim are in the room and you don't know Salim has a gun, that caught me. I was like, whoa, holy shit, they're fucked. Like... Uh. They were in a terrible situation. They got out of it. They're back in it right now. And Celine pulls out a gun, and I'm like, "Holy shit! Like, what a, what a twist! <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Like, I did not think he was going to kill Maman." Yeah, I, I, you know I thought what? it was I'd a even, threat. I had even seen it before, and was like, <laughs> "Not like he's is he gonna? Is he gonna? Yeah. Oh, we did." Oh, same thing happened and to me. The I, old Godfather too with the pillow on the yep. old. Uh, yeah, I watched nice. it a week ago, and I was like, I forget this scene, and I'm like, that's right, he fucking. Once I saw him with, with the pillow, I'm like, he kills this guy. This is this is real. So that's that's my favorite scene of the movie. I think that that is a major major turning point. Yeah, that's a good choice. All right, so my scene of the movie, I went with the uh, the train scene with MIA playing. And the transitional from them, from young kids to, to teens, and, and them learning how to survive on their own, that whole montage of them pickpocketing. And I think it's like, it's one, to be completely honest with you, when I watched this, when I rewatched this for the first time, and I hadn't seen it in eight years, 
that scene came on and I kind of to be and I hate to admit this I kind of zoned out a bit and just you know listened to the music and kind of just kind of like took in the sight and sounds Danny Boyle loves his colors and it's a very colorful scene yep. and I kind of just got lost in the music and wasn't really watching what was going on then when I rewatched it again and then today when I was kind of really preparing scene by scene I was blown away with how in-depth and powerful that scene really is. And that's a great filmmaker to me. Is a, 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 he can put a film out there and you can watch it different ways. If I could take one scene from this movie that has every element of Danny Boyle that needs to be there in his Best Picture winner, and to answer the, the Catherine Short question from earlier, is this the movie that should represent Danny Boyle? Or I'd say yeah, and, and I think that scene for me is why. I agree with you. This is the movie that perfectly sums up Danny Boyle's directorial style with awesome storytelling. He really nailed this one. He, he knocked it out of the park. And he should have won Best Picture. It's a fucking masterpiece. It's not only rags to riches. It's a love story. It's also a tragedy. It's also, you know, it's a million other things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of a newer thing that we've been doing here. And, you know, the irony of it is, is that Rob Bobcat inspired it. He's not here to talk about it for this, this segment here as we're going down the home stretch. But is, is that when we talk about these best picture winners, it's kind of like you can look at it in three ways that they're, that they're made. The performances that are on there, that are on screen. The way it's shot and the way it's presented. For example, the cinematography, right. the music, what's out there, how's it presented. And then finally, the story. That would be the screenplay. The theme, the message. One to five, where do those land? So if we go performances that are on screen, does it get the five out of five? Four. I think it gets a four. Four. Yeah. And now what we talk, so we've done this only for a few so far. We did it for Rocky, for Lambs. They were five, five across the board for all three. Uh, they were. I mean. No, you, you I, I, I hear you. You, I, you I, made I, a face. Where, 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 where do, what are those left? Um, Silence of the Lambs has no. I have no issue with that. They're every performance in five, that five, is five, five, five. five out of five. Okay. Uh, Rocky, Adrian bothers me a little bit, but that's like nitpicking. Yeah. It's just nitpicking. Yeah. I wouldn't give her a five out of five. I yeah, wouldn't, but I wouldn't perform- give Mickey I a five out of five. Both nominated for Oscars. Fine. Uh, you know what? And no one from Slumdog was. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't right. give any of them so five. I, I would agree with you, Artie. I would give I would give Rocky a five, though. I'd give Sylvester yeah. Stallone a five out of five. Yeah. I think but when you talk five. about the collective performances on Rocky, I think it's a five. Well, and if you're going to give collective performances... Well, that's what it is. Is that we're, we're, All right. We're, we're, okay, so... I'd still good, say four. I, I like that, I'd say four. I, I like that you're you know, critiquing the system a little bit. When I say five out of five, five is no doubt best picture caliber. Okay. Four is... It won Best Picture. It worked. We're cool with it. Three is, I mean, this was what a, a regular run of the mill. Two, not what a Best Picture yeah. won one, and then one is so I'd, minimum I'd give, quality for. I'd give it four out of five, but I would say out of out of for, for performances. For, for yeah, perf- okay, performances. Now, how it's shot, yeah. how the movie was shot. Five out of five. Five out of five. Yeah, I don't think there's any debate. The music in this movie... Real quick, I have a shot that I remember from this movie that I think is the best shot of the movie, and it takes maybe one second of film time. And it is a shot from far away, on the ground. Camera just shows two tall skyscrapers. 
and you see a plane fly in between them for five, maybe two seconds. And then it just, get, we get rid of that scene and we move on with the movie. Cool. It's showing this scene of like, we're on the ground watching everything above us. We're not. So, so we're funny not. You said and it's, it's two so funny seconds you said of, of film time. So funny. You and said I, that and that's the scene I remember the most from watching it yesterday, two days ago. That's so funny you said that because I have an equal but opposite shot that stands with me that I can picture perfectly right now. And it's from the top of a building looking straight down of, 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 one, of the, one of the characters leaving the building. And you see it from the top of the building. Right. X amount of stories all the way up and they look like a little ant leaving the building and they're that same exact shot as in 28 Days Later and you can see it's the same filmmaker doing it and that's very cool and, and, and think about think of and this again you can watch a movie like this think about the movies that you watch if you watch a movie and you pick out new things that are smart and, and powerful and details devil in the detail moments that's a great film to me. And yeah, this, this is a five out of five. Uh, this is a five out of five. Couldn't agree more. And, um, and we really didn't talk much about the music and the score in this movie. We talked about like the, the tracks, but we didn't talk about the score. The score is weird. Because it's, 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 it's a mixture of, of, pre, of songs and a uh, score. It's not just a, it's not like Hans Zimmer yeah. playing a fucking violin for yeah, two and a half hours. tracks. You have, and then you have your score, similar to like a right, departed, where there's the right. score and then there's the tracks. A hundred percent, and it, I like that. Yeah, and then our, that final category there would be the story and the themes within the story and how they landed the themes and and and, and to me, I'll let you go first. I'd want, give it a six out of five if yeah. I could, man. It's, it's fucking, it's beyond. It makes up for that four. It does, that it man. Got in the it makes it perfect. And and I haven't seen all the best picture winners. The ones I haven't seen are are not notables they're like older ones this is a top 10 best picture winner wow it's 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 definitely a top 10 best picture winner um when you combine these elements i mean there's children child acting but not but, a four, this, but not a five out of five in performances for you no because to be honest you change between a set of actors a set of actors a set of actors Collective God, performance, though. Collective And you gave the MVP to the child actors, too. Maybe it is a 5 out of 5, yeah. now that I revisit it. You know what? If you asked that third, I might have said 5 out of 5. But since you asked it first, I said 4 out of 5. Hey, you, can, you can go back and I think it's seven, 5 out of 5. I think the movie's... Yeah. I think the movie's... Out of 15, I think it's a 16. I think, I think it's great, man. I think, I think know, it's unbelievable. You know what, man? I think what it is, too, is it's like there's no lead performance. There's no uh, Maximus Aurelius in this movie. Like it is, it is a an ensemble. It is it is pieces that make a whole, and they all come together. And even the lead guy, Dev Patel, his character is played by two other guys. Now, can you imagine making the movie and you film the scenes with the middle people and the older people, and then you're like, I have to make the children's scenes, and you film them, and you're like, fuck, these suck. This movie's gonna suck. Yeah, he, that never occurs to him. He literally gets better for better performances out of the children than he does out of the adults. You know, I better in the sense that it's harder to get a good performance out of the children. So are you are you revising your Yeah, it's your it's, five? it's five five out of five, five out of five, five out of five. Cool, cool. It really I'm is, man. Stick, I, it's a top ten best I picture winner. I'm man. going to just be pr- be prudent and stick to four, maybe even edge to four point five. Who's just, not a five though? That's the question. That's what made me rechange it. Well, I think that everyone in it is is a strong four to four point five. 
but I think just the fact that maybe like no one really went above and beyond. I think Dev did. He goes from being tortured to being this on a my, game this show. This is my thing. Like you, like you were questioning that he should have been nominated for actor. I don't think he should have been actor. I don't hate your take. Like I like your take. I just don't necessarily think it's my take. Like I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that there's a best That's how I felt acting about Rob. nominee there. That's how I felt about Rob B. Uh, Rob Bobcat. Yeah. I I don't hate his take. I just don't agree with it. Yeah. Like his criticisms aren't unfair. They're just this, not something I agree with. This is a movie, and, and we talked about Danny Boyle and, and wanting to build heart within his movies. And if you've decided at a certain point of the movie that you're not going to be emotionally connected to it, it's hard to like a Danny Boyle movie. And you see, as Danny Boyle's career, career moves on, he gets a little more cemented in, in that. But you, The Beach is a super confusing movie if you don't understand what he's trying to do there. He took, um, he, he tested everything yeah. with that movie. Oh, that's a great point. He's like, listen, this went great. I'm going to try doing whatever I want. Yeah, that was the moment. And it was like, eh, this didn't work great. Let me try 28 days later. I'll tone it down a bit. And then it's like, Slumdog, I might yeah, ramp beach, it up a bit. The beach, was the, the beach was the monkey he sent to space. You know, let's, yes. let's, hope, it, it, let's hope it comes it back. It came back then. It probably won't. It came back then. <laughs> there was blood everywhere. So the 1 to 92, I mean, you hopped into it. You're going top it's 10. Good, it's going to be, I, realistically, after I watch all of the movies, yeah. it might be a top, top 15. Tw- top, I was thinking top 20. I, I, I've i seen the good ones, man. It's a top 15 for me. Yeah. It, it might be number 15, but it's really good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm partisan to Danny Boyle, too. I love the way he tells as stories. As do I. Now, before we go, as we always say, this is not... A who should have won podcast. We have to talk about the other nominees. We have to talk about Kevin. We're not going to let them go without a red. So, Artie, this is real simple, man. I just bring it up. You say whether you've seen it or not. If you don't, we let her go. We'll read the synopsis. We're going to start with who did win Best Actor that year. And this was probably the runner-up in the eyes of the Academy, I would imagine. It is uh, a Gus Van Zandt film. And the Best Actor winner in this film was Sean Penn for Milk. Uh, the movie is Milk. Have you seen Milk, Art? No, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's him standing on a milk crate. I think he does do that. Uh, I have not seen Milk either. It's the story of Harvey Milk. So his last name is Milk. But I think he also does stand on a milk crate at one point. Uh, his struggles as an American gay activist who fought for gay rights and became California's first openly gay elected official. All right, that's cool. The next movie, another Best Actor nominee in there, and I have seen this one. I'm interested to see whether you've seen this one because this is a, this is a pretty damn good movie. Frost Nixon. I love that movie. Oof, I've one. seen it three or four times. Yeah. Um, I the first time I turned it on, I went, "Wow, this is going to be boring," and. I remember the movie ended. I watched the entire movie and I went, wow, that, that is really incredible. And what's amazing about that movie is it's a Broadway play turned yeah. into a movie. And you don't get that vibe watching the movie. You get a movie vibe watching the movie, yeah, which I appreciate. By, uh, directed by Ron Howard. I, uh, Frank Langella is nominated for Best Actor. Ron, Sam Rockwell in that movie, too. I love actor. Sam Rockwell. Ron, Ron Howard's a very boring director. He doesn't take any risks. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got, he's got a couple of good... Uh, His movies are good. He doesn't take any risks. Interesting. No, scene shot-wise. Like, yeah. everything's very... Right. I'm, telling a, I'm telling a story. I'm Ron Howard. 
this is my story. Well, we will talk about Ron Howard in one of these episodes as he directed A Beautiful Mind. So that will be an episode at some point. Uh, I Great director. Yeah, and then if you don't know, and, and again, well, well, synopsis, a dramatic retelling of the post-Watergate television interviews between British talk show host David Frost and former president Richard Nixon. And if you're like, ah, too political, don't want to get into it, it's really, it's pretty politically neutral. It, it, it tells a story, and like you said, in a dramatic, and it's even it's a dramatic it's, telling. It it's feel, like a play. It feels like a play. Like, it feels like you're watching a play. Yeah, I like that one. That's, I that's, really love that one. I went into it, I went, book. no, it's not. I went into it expecting to hate it. And I was like, I'm going to watch this front to end, and I loved it. Okay, here's one I have not seen. I would be... Impressed or shocked if you've seen this one. It's uh, starring Kate Winslet and Ray Fiennes, two fantastic actors. Mm-hmm. The Reader. Do we know anything about The Reader already? I saw the first half of it. You have? Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm half impressed. I love Kate Winslet. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, really. She re- and, and she's amazing in that movie. Yeah, great in Steve Jobs too, which we talked about. Yeah, great in Steve Jobs. Post-World War II Germany. Nearly a decade after his affair with an older woman came to a mysterious end, law student Michael Berg re-encounters his former lover as she defends herself in a war crime trial. So we got a post-World War II war crime trial situation. Doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but, you know, I I said that about... In doing this segment, I've said it about a bunch of movies that I've gone back and watched a lot, so maybe that'll do. And finally, David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it either. I another one just I'm not I'm not, like, chomping at the bit to sit down and watch that one, you know? No, I don't... It seems like the one David Fincher movie that people aren't doing cartwheels about. You know, like every other David Fincher movie is like a. If I mean, you don't like what do you this, mean by like doing you. cartwheels? It was up for Best Picture. No one's getting pushy for you to watch that one, right? Uh, so that's it. I mean, this is in the end, of, kind of toward the end of the five nominee era. There were some other movies that are notable there that weren't nominated. The what Wrestler, Darren Aronofsky. That wasn't up for Best Picture. No. That's a shame. Yeah. Oh, and more, more like ridiculous too is there's only three original song nominees and I know you're not a Springsteen guy but the the wrestler song could have been up you know have you ever seen a woman like a dog and you've seen me uh... it's a great Bruce Springsteen has an original song on the record yeah that's the it's either the opening or the closing credit I think maybe it's the closing credit I hate Bruce Springsteen I love right. The Wrestler. Other ones that weren't nominated, The Changeling, Man. Angelina Jolie, The Changeling. You've seen that one, Clint Eastwood movie? It's good. Not sure. a best picture. No. Decent performance out of her. Morgan Freeman's in it, too, I Burn think. Mo- Burn Notice star Jeffrey Donovan in that one. I don't know that. Uh, Rachel Getting Married. Never seen it? No? It's, a, it's an Never actress nominee. Anne Hathaway nominated for Best Actress. Never heard of it. <clears throat> How about Doubt? Oh, I've seen Doubt. I have Doubt. such ah! doubts! I have such doubts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie is amazing. Um, it it shouldn't. It's a if you at a four stars, that's a two and a half star wow. movie. But it's a high quality two and a half star. Great, movie. great cast. Man. Uh, that Phil thing. The story, Amy Adams. the story sucks. The story, the story yeah, is not very good. So not it a best could have been better. No, not, not a best, best picture nominee. Not even close. Can't okay. do, just because Meryl Streep's in it can't give it best picture. I got two more, and I'm gonna. End, uh, I'm sorry, I got three more, but I'm gonna end with 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 a whopper. All right. Uh, 
Revolutionary Road. No. Sam Mendes. That wasn't Harrison. up for Best Picture. It wasn't up for Best Picture, no. Only nominee was Michael Shannon for Supporting Actor. Did you see Revolutionary Road? No. Sam Mendes. It's not a, it's not a great movie. A couple good performances, but you'd think yeah, it would Winslet be better. Yeah, Winslet DiCaprio, right? DiCaprio and Michael Shannon, but Tropic Thunder. I love it. Yeah. Love could Tropic it, Thunder. It got the Supporting Acting nominee. Could it have gotten up to the old... That's a bit of a joke, though. Yeah, not going to be Best Picture, but in a 10... No, the Supporting Actor was a bit of a joke. In... Oh, yeah, I remember you, you brought that up in the... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is a... a it, this is not a you brought role that up in he the, should be up for best uh, in like the Oscar. Come on. And I think, though, in a 10 nominee, these, some of these that I named will, will, are going to be in that mix. Frost Nixon might beat Slumdog. And... I, I really feel that. Frost Nixon might beat Slumdog. Man, I, got, I said I only had two... I only said only one more. You said they're Whoppers, though. Yeah, these, and one of them is, I think, one of your favorite movies... Ever, there's no people in it, just drawings. Wally. Wally is the best animated movie ever made, yeah. and I, I stand I know by you've, that. You said that for years. I since I've seen it, yeah. I stand by that, and I, I stand by that. I don't think there's a animated movie that comes close to being a film the way Wally does. Haven't seen it. Got to see it. Been on my list for a while. I finally saw Coco. That's what the animated one. When I enjoyed that. I want to see that. Uh, I can't get my daughter to watch it. Really? She, yeah, she loves. She she's weird. Princesses. That's not weird. Right, right, right. So she likes Moana. She likes. Okay. Uh, she loved Aladdin. Yeah. Loved Aladdin. Um, she laughed hysterically when the genie was talking to the camera at the opening scene, which is hysterical because. Breaking the fourth wall is like a weird thing in yeah, film. Yeah. And for my daughter to turn, she's four, for my daughter to turn to me and be like, is he talking to us? I was like, yes, he is. Yeah, wow. Awesome. Like, great. Great Better notice. Voiceover, right? Great job. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and is Ray finally, Liotta talking to me? <laughs> finally, I think may have been the movie that changed the format from five to ten. The Dark Knight. I mean, what do you want me to say about movie i've watched it 500 times yeah i mean um as as, as slam dunk of supporting actor winner as there would it's, be it's he could if, if if that was best actor and no one like flinched at the difference between actor and supporting actor if no one flinched at the difference between actor and supporting actor and he was up for best actor no one would argue yeah and and i think that this was kind of like this year and the next year they like looked at this and said oh we need 10 nominees yeah and the dark knight was one of them that especially that, that particular year because a bunch of those movies you named are I great i think the ones we went through probably would be the nominees and i'd be maybe maybe not revolutionary road maybe that one comes out you know um yeah, but if that came Tropic out thunder might not have made the made the cut there but that's probably about what that list would have been so, so already we have reached the end here I don't know, closing thoughts? you have anything you want to uh, share with us at the end here? Yeah, so last episode you referenced uh, Paul McCartney as the weakest Beatle. Okay, I yes. completely agree with that. All right. He's by far the weakest. You want to hear a cool story? Me and my buddy used to drive around. Every time I liked the song, it was a George Harrison song. And every time I didn't like a song, he goes, bro, you don't like Paul McCartney. I'm like, I don't like Paul McCartney. I don't like any of his songs. And he, uh, he really drilled it into my head. He's like, every song you say you don't like is Paul McCartney. He's like, do you like... Um, I don't know that song. I can't remember the name, but I hate that song. Well, I think it sucks. Covers, yeah. yeah, it sucks. It sucks. So, I, so back to, your, to Paul McCartney being the weakest Beatle, I completely agree with you. Aside from that, I think Slumdog Millionaire should have won Best Picture. I think even out of the movies he listed after, 
if you increase it to 10, I think Slumdog Millionaire should have won, and that's it. Yeah, man, I, I think, uh, listen, man, I fought, I, I appreciate, and I'll, I'll speak for, for Rob Bobcat here, I appreciate him coming in here and, and, and being honest and giving his, uh, his opinion. Of Happy what. to have Rob on. Happy to have you back, man. This is uh, yeah. always fun. It's always a blast. I think the next time I'm going to see you, Joey R is going to be around, and we're going to talk a little sound of music. It'll be a little different than the, the ones you've done so far. So I've never seen that. I hate musicals, and my wife loves this movie. So if my wife loves it, I'm pretty sure I'm going to love it. All right. We'll see, man. It's good. Hey, dude, I got nothing else to say. I'm happy. That's my final answer. Is that your final answer? Computer G A Lucky Cha. Who wants to be a millionaire?